is actually the most passionate and emotional team I've been a part of. We love each other, um, have great team chemistry, and, and we really want everyone to do well. Um, and I think that's where all the, the passion and emotion comes from. You know, we, we want to see each other succeed. Well, hit right center field. Rose chasing. That is shot. Luke Lipsius and the ball strike first. Yo, what is up, everybody? It is time for the In Off the Bench podcast. I am Daniel Ball, and I'm joined as always by my co host, my partners in crime, my brothers from other mothers, Jim Cross, Randy Jowers. And guys, we got episode three titled Shift in Culture because the man that we're bringing on did just that. For the University of Tennessee baseball team, Luke Lipschitz. Despite him being the story guy, he's not only a star athlete, but he's a brainiac, probably the smartest guy we've ever had on the podcast. So, guys, I don't, I don't want to mess around. I want to get right to it. So, help me welcome on to the show with the biggest interview on podcasting this week, Tennessee baseball star Luke Lipschitz. All right, Luke, our man, welcome to the show. How are we doing tonight? Hi, doing pretty good. Just uh, finished up some dinner with my fiance and her dad, so I'm feeling full and I'm feeling ready to talk. All right, man. Well, you know, you didn't get in no trouble at the dinner table with, with future dad-in-law, did you? Nah, nah, never. I'm a perfect gentleman with him. With that, before we get into your story, we're going to go through some questions. And, you know, one of the things we want to know, and a lot of people want to know, you know, obviously you are in aerospace engineering, you have a degree in it, but, you know, have you thought about becoming a full-time bat inspector after, you know, how well you did it against <laughs> Vanderbilt? Oh my God. You know, um, if if I could make a, a good bit of money, you know, I'd check all those stickers, check all the bats, you know, just give it to me before the games. Um, well, we'll see if I, if I checked it for Tennessee, we might let a few slide. <laughs> Tim Corbin's um, hiring. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. No doubt. So, you know, usually Randy does this portion and he likes to judge our guests, but he, you know, he's going to be talking to you all things Tennessee baseball because he's that guy. So I get to do the judgment here. And so with that, we're going to ask a few questions. We like to ask every guest, you know, and I'm going to start with, you know, what's your favorite movie, Luke? You know, I think I'd have to say Deadpool. Really? I think it's got a, a good mix of, you know, action, comedy, um, some some nice women in there you know it's it's good stuff you got a little romance too so i, I think it's a good mix of everything and I, I think ryan reynolds is absolutely hilarious i can dig it I, I can see it so uh who would you say is your favorite musician or band musician you know um it's tough i, I really like uh morgan wall and i think his stuff is really good you know he had that little uh that little mix up with uh whatever he had to say um, but I, I do think his music's good. I like me some, some Luke Combs. I've been listening to a good bit of old dominion right now. Um, but I think ever since I, I got to Tennessee, it kind of transferred from, I don't know, just like rap and pop to more country stuff, you know, just a, the smooth, easy listening on the road. I think I'm going to have to start to rephrase this question. Who outside of Morgan Wallen is your favorite musician because that seems to be the answer on repeat right now. So I I, I hated I hated saying it, but I mean his I love his music. Um Same. I'm always I'm always down to listen to Luke Combs. Um yeah I think I, it just I, speaks that, to them killing the game, right? I mean if the answer is always them then hey they're doing something right. Ex exactly. Don't stop, you know. 
So who would you say is your favorite athlete of all time? Of all time. That's tough. And why is it Drew Gilbert? <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it's hard not to pick him. Um, you know, as the person that I loved watching just growing up, um, because I, I mainly watched baseball, not too much of basketball. Um, actually, so I'll, I'll say David Ortiz. I've always been a, like a Red Sox kind of New England, New England ish fan. Um, I just love that he had like such a big power pouch, you know, and he just got it done. Uh, he's such a likable guy, too. I also loved um, Kevin Garnett on the Celtics. I think he was just absolute stud. Loved watching him when I was growing up, uh, when I did watch basketball. But yeah, David Ortiz, I've always said he was my favorite player. Um, I just think like he's it, just a, a big old guy with a big old gut that can hit balls really far. You know, he, he's living the life as a DH. Um, so I, I thank him. Yeah, as a guy who smashes, you should absolutely uh, – that should be your guy. So, exactly. So with that, you said, you know, talking about watching certain sports. My last one I got for you, obviously the NFL playoffs are going on right now. I don't know how much you pay attention to them. But if you are, if you had to pick one team to win the Super Bowl today, who is it? You know, I, my, my pick is probably not worth a lot of salt, but I like my guy Joey B and the Bengals. Your, your pick is worth everything, my guy. Perfect. Um, I really thought that the Bucks were going to win um, on Monday, too. You know, it's hard to bet against Tom Brady, but they <laughs> I don't know what happened to them. Daniel but, was at that game. He'll give you the full scoop. Father Tom is undefeated, Luke. That's what yeah. happened. Ah, and, very true. Very true. Yeah, he's trying to play another year, too. I mean, he's lost his family. I guess there's nothing else to lose. I mean, he he's lost. He's got to recoup some of that crypto money. That's what he yeah. needs to do. So. <laughs> oh, yeah. But let, let, before I get into to the background, let me tell you what happened. There's a guy by the name of Micah Parsons. That's what happened. Mm, yep. And <laughs> that dude just strikes fear in everybody, and he didn't make life easy on anybody on uh, Monday night. But, yeah, I mean, you could see Jim asked me the question, you know, at what point did you feel like it was going to go your way? And, and you know, obviously, when you turn the ball over in the end zone, that's not a good look. But when the Cowboys said, you know, we're going to go for it on fourth and three, we're not here to kick field goals. Um, obviously, they weren't there they to couldn't. kick extra points either. But um, <laughs> they went for it, scored a touchdown. At that point, I was like, all right, it's going to be a rough night for those guys. So, um, but anyhow, you know, getting into you getting into the story we got to start from the beginning so talk to me a little bit about you know where you grew up and where you're from yeah so i'm from a uh small town uh kind of eastern virginia williamsburg virginia um it's known for colonial williamsburg a bunch of people go to field trips there um nice little town a lot of people in wigs you know horses riding around in this one little area other than that it's just a normal small town um, we had the beach an hour away, Richmond another hour and away. Um, but yeah, so I, I grew up, played a bunch of sports, you know, did karate, inline hockey, uh, basketball, baseball, never played football. My parents uh, didn't want me to get hurt because my older brother, I have an older half brother, um, he played, got hurt. My dad played, got hurt. And so we didn't want to play. So I guess I should backtrack, kind of introduce my family. I have a twin brother, Andre. He's with the Detroit Tigers organization right now up there in AAA. I have an older half-brother in Cincinnati right now. He has a family, so I got three nieces. Uh, I got my mom and dad. They still live in uh, Williamsburg, Virginia. Uh, but that's me, and then grew up playing baseball. Always loved it. I think we started when we were like two or something. 
I always had my brother to play with. So literally every chance we could, we made a game that was somewhat baseball like. So out in our backyard, we would grab like a, one of those little foam golf balls and just like chuck it as hard as we could try to hit it uh, up in our little hallway. There was a hallway upstairs. We had a ping pong ball and we would, <laughs> the pitcher would throw the ping pong ball and the hitter would have to hit it. But I don't know if you've ever tried to smack a ping pong ball. It hurts pretty bad. So we had a designated oven mitt that we just grabbed from the kitchen that would like act as our bat. Um, so we played some ping pong baseball upstairs. And, you know, is that's kind of what it was, just getting out, doing fun stuff. Um, Daniel, that sounds way better than wiffle ball, man. We were doing it wrong, dude. Well, <laughs> so, Luke, when, when I picture, I, you know, just hearing you talk about it, here's what I picture. I picture there being a lot of competition, a lot of heated competition, a lot of fighting, a lot of broken stuff around the house, maybe some broken bones. But um, all in all, I think that breeds a really good atmosphere for some really good athletes. Um, oh, 100%. And so you'd think that there'd be more fights than there were because, it, you know, the first 10 minutes of any game is great. Um, the next 30 get chippy and people get feelings hurt and then it usually ends before it should you know what I'm saying but growing up I was always like 20 pounds heavier and six inches taller than my twin and so we never like fought because he I, I just sat on him and he's subdued you know and so um, nothing ever really got physical but yeah there was there's some screaming and crying and and all the works but other than that yeah it was some some great competition and uh, we had we had some fun so you you mentioned you know the competition the sport at what age was it just baseball or were you a multi-sport guy or and what age did you guys start you know getting into team sports so age I'll, I'll start with the team sports first age that we got into team sports was um you know t-ball Kind of, it was kind of a focus on baseball for most of, of my life. And then uh, what was it like fourth or fifth grade hit, I think. And I started playing basketball. And so the first team that I tried out for, I didn't make it because I was I like could barely dribble or something. I was just this big kid, wasn't really coordinated, wasn't very athletic. And so after that, I guess I worked really hard and ended up being pretty, pretty good at basketball for um for what I was. And so I always loved basketball, but then where it switched to kind of solely baseball was around freshman year of high school. For me specifically, I would have loved to play basketball through high school, but I was dealing some, with some back stuff that kind of um, benched me from playing basketball. So that's when it switched to only baseball from then on. Uh, but I <laughs> we still played me and my, my twin. We were on a direct basketball team for my high school. That, seemed, that doesn't seem friends. fair. That just doesn't well, seem yeah, fair. I was averaging like a double double a game, and so, <laughs> and so it was crazy because everyone knew that we had a rec team in the high school, and there was one game where we played the rival high school's rec team, and it brought out more fans than our actual like basketball team games did, and so was, that was one of my my best experiences was just like dicking around with the boys, you know. So, you know, you, you mentioned you guys, you know, obviously good at basketball you had to develop that baseball I'm sure like you I would imagine you know with a guy your caliber you're, you're probably picking up pretty quick you're probably a lot better than most of the people you're growing up with and and you know obviously you you play travel ball for Richmond Braves and you know anytime you get into travel ball that just 
tells me immediately that you're in a level above a lot of other players. So um, at what age did you start with the Richmond Braves and um, did you and your brother play for the Braves together or did y'all end up playing on separate teams? Yeah, so we started with the Braves when I was 13 and that was kind of where it was like, oh, wow, like, yeah, we're good. Um, we can really do something with this because the Braves at that time were kind of there. We would go to all the big tournaments. Um, people knew who we were uh, for the most part. And so we played, my brother and I played on every single team together all the way up until college, which was really nice to have a friend. Um, but yeah, so that's, that's, we started playing Russian Braves when we were 13, kept playing until whatever, 17, I guess it is. Uh, but the funny thing is, um, I was always a standout in baseball, of course, because I was just so much bigger than everyone. Um, but right now, or I guess back when we played, as we got older, Andre started to pass me up. And so, like, what I, I give lessons to kids. Now, this is just kind of like me ranting because I think it's good to hear. Um, just because, like, you're big and or small when you're little – doesn't mean that you're going to be really good when you grow up. You know, a lot of the times it's the really big kids that kind of falter off when they're little because they haven't had to work as hard. Whereas guys like my brother, the littler kids, they just excel because they're so good, you know, and I just think that's a, a good aside for, for if there's younger fans listening. Yeah. It's always, you know, interesting to see there's, there's a lot of guys, you know, that that's really hit or miss, you know, um, some athletes are like, yeah, I was a big guy, but like, I didn't, get into my body until I got mm -hmm. older or on the flip side, you go, well, I was like the smallest guy. I had to work even harder, but it made me who I am today, you know, so to speak. But exactly. Um, obviously you, you talk about basketball. I, I got to ask you, you said as you got ready to enter high school, your freshman year, you, you made the switch from basketball um, to baseball only. Now, what high school did you go to and was the high school that you went to, were they good at basketball and, or were they not was, I guess, was the decision not to play basketball, um, an easy one or a more difficult one? So the, the high school I went to is called Lafayette high school in Williamsburg. And we were, I'd say we were middle of the pack, maybe a slightly above average, um, on varsity. That is JB was uh, JB basketball. Um, so it wasn't like a, a super hard decision, but yeah, I, I, I do wish I would have played some in high school. I just think it would have been so fun. So outside of the sports, I want to, you know, we're going to, we're going to talk a lot of baseball, but I, I want to make sure we hit the academic portion because mm -hmm. uh, it, it is not in my eyes, it's not debatable and could be, but I believe you are the smartest guy on this podcast currently right now and the smartest person that's ever been on this podcast so well, the just, first one definitely isn't debatable i can't yeah. believe you even said that <laughs> so well, I, I appreciate uh, that yeah man so, we'll go knowledge yeah. bowl at the end yeah oh, that, that's our that's our game where we're gonna go straight knowledge bowl questions now um you were a member of honor roll math club national honor society um you know, all of those things are when you start seeing those type of organizations, you're a part of clubs, um, you know, those accolades, you immediately start thinking of the level that you are academically. So aside the athletic portion, the academics, like what was the push for academics in the house? 
And was it as important to you personally, or was it just something that you your parents wanted, so you wanted to make them proud, and then you eventually realized, oh, I'm pretty damn smart. Yeah, so it starts with my parents for sure. So both of them are professors at William and Mary, and also marine biologists. Um, and my dad, especially, is a professor in in mathematics, mainly statistics. So he's all, or they have always been really big on math in general and just education and so i didn't go to a public school until sixth grade i believe it was no seventh grade and the school that i went to was big on science and math and so i just kind of learned to really love um the let's say harder subjects like science and math and i tell you what i hated english and i hated history and all those um writing all that stuff you know it wasn't wasn't for me and so i it wasn't just that I was good at it. I enjoyed it. It came pretty natural to me. And so I'm, I'm very lucky in the fact that I actually enjoyed going to school and I wasn't really trying to please anyone. It was more just like, all right, I know I can do this. If I don't get an A or whatever it is, then I'm kind of failing myself, you know? Um, of course, that's in high school. Then college, it's, it's more like, yeah, engineering, if I get a C, it's going to curve up to whatever it is, you know? Uh, but other than that, yeah, I'm, I'm very fortunate to really like and enjoy uh, math, science, and and the so the hard stuff. So we're we're gonna you know talk more about that obviously because I'm I'm kind of you know fascinated about the story academically too, and it it might be a story that not you know everyone is aware of. But you know thinking you know along the lines of you know baseball, you are a four year letterman, you're a team captain uh, at how you say it, Lafayette, 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 yes. Lafayette. Uh, you helped the team to a 3A state championship in 2015. You hit a game-winning home run to clinch that state title. Mm. When you think about that moment in particular, what was that like, and was that your favorite part of your high school career? So at, at that time, I think that was the best moment in my entire life. You know, it was – um baseball our first state championship it was the state championship it was at liberty and i had maybe just started my recruiting journey or whatever it was so this stadium was like top notch in front of all my friends that came my family these random people and like just the culmination of everything um led to that being the like greatest moment of my life at that point. And uh, it, it's definitely something I'll never forget. Even when I'm just scrolling through my camera roll every so often, I'll make sure I click on the videos and the pictures. And uh, it was just so great. It, it, it gives me chills just thinking about it, how happy I was in the moment um, coming back home. You know, I remember the guys graduated on the field too, like the guys that were around me, such a good group. Um, just everything about it was, was amazing. And, and I, I will never forget that moment um oh. actually fun fun fact about that is um i don't know if, how much you read into it i guess just on like maybe the tennessee page but i hit the home run it was the the top of the seventh i hit the home run and i'm running on the bases and as i am on my way from third to home i take off my helmet and i chuck it and so in high school if you do that you get ejected and so and so it's it's more a rule for if you're bad, you know, um, but so I got ejected. And so I'm sitting on the bench watching the bottom half of the state championship unfold with this. Um, I think he was a sophomore at the time, maybe a freshman, just like a younger guy 
playing center field because that's where I played at the time. And I'm like, like what just happened? And then the next year I had to sit out a game because it was the last game of the season, blah, blah, blah. But that's just a kind of funny aside that, yeah, I, I didn't act, I wasn't actually out there for the, the last out of the state championship. That's unbelievable. Who, who made it, was it immediately called by the umpire? They're like, all right, you got to go. Um, or was it something that the opposing team's coach was like, hey, he can't do that? No, so it was the umpire. And so I'm, we're all in the dugout just losing our minds. And I'm like freaking out. My coach comes over to me and he's like, hey, you're out. You're out of the game. And I'm like, why? No, I want to play. He's like, no, no, you've been ejected. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like, what is going on? Of course, like, I don't think I thought much of it because, I mean, I just hit the home run. But still, it was it was just a very, like, odd situation. And good thing we ended up winning because, like, let's say the center fielder drops a ball or something. I wouldn't have been able to live with that, you know? You know, it it all all this Tennessee stuff now makes sense to me. I was just you, thinking it, Daniel. <laughs> you you, cre- you created this. They've yeah. been blaming it on Drew Gilbert for years. Now no, we know no, it's no. loose. Now we know. When you get Drew Gilbert and Tony V and you put them together, you get what happened this past year. Look, Tony V came on our plate. Yeah, no, Tony V came on our show and said that was all y'all. He just let y'all be yourselves. Oh my okay. god! No but way. we knew that yeah, was a that lie. Guy, though. Yeah. <laughs> Dude, he's he's the most passionate guy in that field. I don't care what anybody says. Oh, definitely, you got to be, man. At that level, like if if you're not if you're not loving it, it's gonna eat you alive. But, exactly, man. You you ended up being ranked the 15th left-handed pitcher and the number you're 106 overall in the country, um, and in the state of Virginia during your senior season over the course. Of your high school career, you earned you earned all conference, all region, all state, all Gazette honors, all all everything. I mean, if, if there was another level of of all, you would have probably had it. So I, I want to look at something here. You 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 were clearly a good pitcher, and mm-hmm. I, as you know today, like you hit massive bombs. Like we we we've seen it. Um, when did you start getting recruited by colleges, and was it pitching only? Was it a position player only or was it something where you were trying to do both so my recruiting journey is actually kind of funky so when I was a sophomore I was getting very heavily recruited um, mostly by Virginia schools so like Virginia Tech VCU uh, Pitt was in there Richmond those kind of schools Um, there was a point sometime between sophomore and junior year or just kind of like a continuation where I kind of started slacking. So um, as that happened, not a lot of uh, letters coming in, not a lot of people wanting me, all that stuff um, to the point where I'm like filling out a normal application to go to college. Cause I'm like, shoot, maybe this might not happen. Um, but so my brother, Andre, he had got recruited to Tennessee uh, in his, I believe it was the fall of junior year. So it'd be the fall of, 14. And once that happened, I guess I was out of my funk because um, whenever travel ball, travel ball picked back up, Tennessee started looking at me. And so um, that October was official visits. Uh, they called me up. I, I actually just went because they were like, hey, come on, Andre's official since you're still a recruit. Um, I went, parted up with, with him and all the boys. And then that day they offered me a recruited walk-on spot. And so um, as far as recruitment goes, I was not a very highly recruited guy at a high school. 
Um, I was very good for Virginia in, in 3A that we played at. Um, but as far as like recruiting goes, not very high. And I, I think I got extremely lucky to have ended up at Tennessee um, because looking back, I was I was not the best player. Um, but yeah, I, I thank everything to that coaching staff for giving me a chance. And then for Andre getting recruited, you know, so that they actually had to watch me saying, thank goodness we played on all the same teams. But yeah, um, that's that's kind of my recruiting journey. Were there was there a time where you felt as though, hey, I think us going to different schools is what's about to happen here was what were the schools that you were really like? And obviously you you listed a bunch, but let's say three. Like what were the the final three where you're like, I'm either going to choose to go Tennessee with him and do this preferred walk on or I'm going to go somewhere else. What were those other somewhere else's? So the other somewhere else's were uh, just smaller schools in Virginia, you know, like a, like a VCU, a JMU, um, Tech at the time. And so it was a no brainer. Like, yeah, I'm going to go to Tennessee. I'm going to be in the SEC. Um, and it was it was it was comforting to know that he was going to be there with me, of course. But, you know, if let's say UVA at the time was really good, if they had offered me a recruited walk on, it probably would have been them, you know. Um, so it was just kind of a matter of Tennessee at that point was the best college for sure that I had any sort of offer at. And yeah, then I'm, I'm also I'm also extraordinarily lucky that um, because it was recruited walk on for one, I had good academic scholarships, but then also my parents could help me out and, and of course, paying some bills for college. So it, it all just kind of came together in this this ability to be a recruited walk on. No, absolutely. That's a that's a crazy story. But so we had we've had Tony V on. We've had a lot of your teammates on. But Tony V said something specifically that stood out. He said the shift in culture began when the Lipsius brothers arrived on Rocky Top. Right. So with that, you get to Knoxville and you start off, obviously, you guys and your twins career, but also the Tony V era. So talk about just what that was like in the beginning before everybody knew who Tony V was, before everybody knew who you guys were. Yeah, so that first year under Coach Serrano and his crew, I, I think he's a fantastic coach. I think his style of ball, however, did not work in the SEC. Um, we were getting really good recruits, just not putting it together. And so that year, there was a lot of toxicity going on in the locker room from uh, leadership roles. And so at that point, I was like just a young freshman. So I'm sitting there thinking, okay, like just kind of keep quiet, you know, make my friends like don't talk back, blah, blah, blah. Um, and so the leadership at that time was not good in the locker room. And I didn't realize that until I got older and realized what a good leader is. And so I think that um, V says that it started with us getting there. It definitely started when V got there, not only just V, but the people around him and I think the main person to thank for the new culture is Quinn Everhart who is the strength coach because that fall was the single hardest fall of my life um, not only because we had a bunch of just idiots on the team not a bunch a couple idiots on the team but the way that he disciplined us and made us um uh, made us do the little things right made us do these things right like all that stuff turned us into not just a group of like hooligans, but a group of 
disciplined, work ethic filled individuals, you know, because I'd say the the Serrano teams had more talent than we did that sophomore year, but we won more games that sophomore year um, because of all these guys. And you got Josh Elander, who I think is the best hitting coach in the nation, Frank, best pitching coach, all these guys that took honestly not a lot, you know, they, they made lemonade out of lemons um, and we, we were a bunch of lemons. But then as we got older, um, me, my brother, some of the other juniors that were there for the Serrano age, I think that we realized like, hey, we're never going back to that that stuff that we experienced freshman year. We got to keep it rolling, make sure that everyone's on board uh, with what we're doing here because it's pretty crazy. And it's it's very nice that we had immediate results. You know, we went from seven to 12 to 14 to on and on and on SEC wins and, you know, making a regional, this, that. And so it's it's really to see that it's working. And so that kind of drove us even more to be like, hey, we're making sure that the new freshmen coming in, they learn their place and, and you know, they do everything right. They learn the culture like off the bat. And if they don't, you're going to get kicked out by either one of us or whatever, you know? Um, and so I think it was, it was definitely Coach V that changed the culture. And I think it was, a good mix of all of us that made sure that it trickled down, so to speak. No, absolutely. So you, we talked about that a little bit, that shift in culture. Uh, we just had Sean Hunley on, I think a couple of weeks ago. Right. And he was talking about uh, he was back in Knoxville working out, you know, and obviously he's in the minor leagues. And we asked him, I said, look, was it like that when you got there? And he was like, no, they didn't come back. And that culture wasn't here. And now a lot of guys are coming back, working out, you know, with the new guys and with each other. So that just goes to what you're saying about the culture and a name that you brought up that I don't think it's brought up enough. I think baseball circles know with Josh Elander. I mean, the recruiting that dude does, the hitting coach. I mean, that dude does not get the credit he does. The only bad side of that is, Luke, for from a Tennessee fan is like one day that guy's probably going to be running his own program. So that's oh. the sad part. But he deserves it. One hundred percent. And I, I hate well, I hate and love for when that day comes because it's not if, it's a when. He's I'm just sure. like so good. Um, but yeah, he he definitely doesn't get enough credit. He spends, oh my God, I swear it's like 60 hour weeks with recruiting and us and it's it's unbelievable what he does, but yeah. Absolutely. So you kind of talked about it, you are humble about it. I wasn't, maybe I wasn't good enough to do this and, and you know, recruiting your twin or whatever, but you know, you get there your freshman year and you play in 33 games with 20 starts, you're DH and you're in right field. Sophomore year, you started to get a little bit more time. Obviously, that's when V comes in. In those first two years, obviously, with the coaching change and everything, what did you learn about not only yourself, but about where you were in Tennessee? Yeah, so um, freshman year was really cool because it was, I guess, another teaching moment to whoever is younger. Uh, when I was a freshman, of course, probably not as good as the other guys out there. However, I did everything right. I didn't talk back. You didn't really have to worry about me getting my stuff done. Um, and when I needed to, I performed, you know, so I, I was, it's funny. I started the very first game of my freshman year, the very first game. I went one for four, the little duck fart into center field. Um, and then for the next uh, month, I didn't play. And so then there was a culmination of me doing everything right. And then a couple of guys, a couple of older guys, some Juco transfers doing things wrong that got me a, a, the start, you know, and it was, I think Mississippi State was my first start since the um, first game of the season. So I got in there. I was like, hey, I'm not doing too bad. Like, maybe I can do this. And just a little aside, 
Um, I'll never forget Mississippi State because speaking of being smart, whatever, at the time I was a, a nuclear engineering major, um, the, I was playing right field. The people behind the fence were asking me like science questions. It'd be like, <laughs> hey, like what's the speed of light? Like hold up your left hand for this, hold up your right hand for that. And like, I remember getting the question right and the whole section going nuts. Um, you know, now it'd be, it'd be a little different maybe now because they were probably beating us by 15 um and and a little bit happy about it but I just remember that was one of the the best moments of my my freshman year I was like you know what maybe I don't need to be like so uptight I could just relax you know uh but then sophomore year I was starting every game for the first weekend and then the practice after the first series I got hit in the face with a ball broke my nose that put me out for a good month-ish and then I came back, I had to wear a mask for another month. Um, so that weird was just, or that year was just kind of weird um, overall. And V, I think, realized at that point, like, I wasn't performing that well when I came back just because circumstances were weird. But he was like, yeah, this kid's going to work and he's going to try to make sure that he gets a shot at least. And it's hard not to give him a shot. Um, and so that's when I realized I was like, look, I just got to work. And then uh, my summer of summer after my sophomore year is where I really found I think I found myself um, because I was coming off the injury um, played I don't know what it was quarter half the season my sophomore year and I was out in California and just playing ball being out there bunch of good guys around me you know um, like doing whatever I wanted I think I just found like a new love and a new kind of view of baseball that brought me brought me back junior year and the rest um is history but I, I think that that stretch of sophomore year to the beginning of that junior year was like a, a ton of growth um not only in like mechanics wise for baseball but just like hey like yeah you're you're meant to be here you know because that that was always my big thing is like it never felt like I was meant to be there uh in my freshman year you know um but then it's getting that confidence was huge. No, absolutely. So you talk about coming off that injury and kind of struggling through it and not feeling like you belong. So junior year, you know, you feel like you kind of found yourself and then you get a medical red shirt with a foot injury. So just kind of talk about what your mindset is like. Now you talked about the kind of the struggle feeling if you belonged. Now you feel like you kind of found your footing. All of a sudden you got a foot injury. Now you got to go through rehab. How serious mm -hmm. was that injury and how, how difficult was it for that rehab process? Oh, it was so that was a tough time. Um, I, I like to think I'm a generally positive person, but there were days where I was definitely down bad. So at that point in the year, I think I led the team in like four or five hitting categories. Like I was going off. And so then I broke my foot right before SEC play. And it was just a weird little fracture on a small bone in the foot. And the initial diagnosis was, hey, you're going to be back in four weeks. And so I'm like, all right, I'll ride it out. Um, I'll be able to make it halfway through SEC play. This year's going to be good. After four weeks, I get another x-ray, whatever it was. They say, hey, your foot hasn't healed at all. And that's when shit kind of hit the fan. I was like, are you serious? Like, what is going on here? Um, I got on this bone stem thing. It healed up uh, in, within the next four weeks. But at that point, it was like, okay, we're about to go into playoffs. I would have to get back into the swing of get back into the swing of things after two months off uh, at right near playoffs. I think it's better if I just take the med red, you know, I got another year ahead of me. Um, let's just take the med red. 
And so just going through that injury, you know, um, I was still able to be in the dugout for home games. <laughs> I would travel not with the team. So I would watch from the stands, like with my family and other and other people. And that was just an odd experience. Um, but I, I loved every second of it. Um, besides not playing, of course. But yeah, I, I think I did a lot of growing there, too. Uh, but yeah, that was that was definitely a a, a hit. But I I like to say if if that year would have continued, most likely would have gotten picked uh, late round of the draft, whatever, and then I wouldn't be where I am now. You know, so it's almost like like things really do happen for a reason. And speaking of getting drafted, obviously, not only that's probably the first time you've not played with your brother. You know, your your life, right? So you're watching him play. He gets drafted after that season. Talk about what how that how exciting was that for you and your family. Oh, it was it was crazy. I remember we were watching at this hotel in Knoxville. And as soon as his name got called, like everyone just started bawling, you know, because it was it's just this moment that everybody dreams of as soon as they start, as soon as they pick up a bat, it's, hey, all this work I've done has paid off. And just being able to share that with him and see him experience it was just as fulfilling for me. It was almost I, I might as well got have gotten drafted that day, too. Um but so as that was such a cool experience. And now um, just being a, a fan of him and supporting him through his, his minor league ball, and he's doing really well. Is It's been a really cool experience too. Yeah. So you go into 2020, start the season red hot, not only as a team, but you personally, mm -hmm. you set career highs and it was a shortened season. So we actually had Connor Pavoloni on. He was one of our first Tennessee guests, if not the first one. And he was talking about how he believed that that team had a real chance to make noise. So obviously the world shut down with the pandemic. We all know what that is. And with the negative feeling like what could have been, maybe it was the most talented team, but did it give you guys the confidence boost to go into 2021? Oh, 100%. I think uh, almost like what Notre Dame did to us, you know, they, they lost and then they came back so much better. We knew that we had something special, but I don't think it was until that 2021 team that we, we realized how special that team was. Um, you know, we got Crochet throwing 100. We got Wally throwing uh, whatever, 95 with Singh. Chad throwing 92, and he's a dog. You know, and then all, all of our offense, um, Alaric, me, Rucker, all of these people are playing and playing well. And so <laughs> everything stops, and it's like, what's going to happen? We all as a team went out to the field, I think it was the day after uh, or whatever, um and just like sat there and cried because we were like like what is this i'm not gonna that see is. these guys anymore you know like this is crazy um because we didn't know what was gonna happen with the draft you know if it was 40 rounds most likely a bunch of us would have been gone um so we just sat there and cried the good thing is is that a good amount of people from that covid team came back and they were like okay we haven't been together we haven't played ball we haven't done any of this for so long like Let's get to work. And so I think it was just a culmination of of like the heart growing fond, you know, when there's space or whatever that saying is that we missed each other. We knew we were good. Um, everyone had a good fall, it seemed like. And so it was I don't know, it was just a culmination in, in that year of, of craziness. And I think I, there was something that was also the year that the legends of Lindsey Nelson made their debut. And so. Uh. That is where the fan-wise cultural shift started because they brought this energy to the ballpark that we could feel 
and then other fans could feel it when like we displayed it. And so it, everything, it seemed went right that year. Uh, absolutely. So 2021, we're now we're to a time where the, the culture shift, the culture change has happened. The Tony V swagger team full of swagger, right? This team had a, one thing you can say about them, swagger, confidence, whatever we're going to say, but to talk about you for a second, you play in 67 games, make 64 starts at first base, set career highs in basically everything, 48 runs, 54 hits, 15 home runs, 42 RBIs, 36 walks, and six stolen bases. Well, underrated speed there, Luke. Little speed. So before we get into that individual performance and team success, I just got to ask, after the, the the time that you had been through, dealing with a couple of injuries, feeling like you didn't fit in, COVID year, how good did it feel that it was all kind of culminating now to seeing what, what came to fruition? So the very first thing that the freshmen did, my freshman class did, when we got on that field, if you look at Lindsey Nelson, there's numbers out on the left field, left center and right center field walls. One is for College World Series years and the other is for NCAA regional years. And so all of us, we it was just like separate, us separately thinking, but coming together and saying, we're putting numbers up on that wall. And so as soon as that last out happened um, against LSU, and we knew that we were going to the, the College World Series, and like I'm, I'm getting chills thinking about it right now. It kind of makes me emotional. It's just like, like we did it. We did it. And I think that might've been our downfall in Omaha because it's like Tennessee is reviving. We finally made it um, as much as we want to say, we weren't like that. You know, it, there was this like, okay, we did it, you know? And um, I, I, all the guys that experienced it, like the Fergs, the Spences, Rucker um, that had been there, even through some of the, the worst times, but especially for the older guys like me, Pete, Russell, or Evan Russell, Redmond, those guys, like me and Pete, we hugged, we cried. It was just a magical moment. You know, everyone's slapping hands as they're pouring beers on you out in left field <laughs> after the game. Um, it, was, it was just a crazy culmination of, of everything we had worked for. And it, it's just a, a feeling that you can't describe. And then, of course, getting to Omaha um, and seeing that, that atmosphere, you know, you're treated like royalty for a week and a half or whatever it is. It was amazing experience. Yeah, man, I want to I want to go back to the beginning of that season for a second because you start out opening day. I mean, you kill it, right? Come out of the gate two for three, RBI double, run score. But the second day, my guy, a little, little struggle, right? You struggled against a guy named Chase Dolander. Uh, so <laughs> I, I just got to – I got to ask, could you guys – obviously, Tony V, Frank Anderson, they all see the talent, but could you see the talent that day that you would see the next year when he was your teammate? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. You're uh, with those fastball that game, you would swing at it and you would either experience one of two things. You would say, how did that go straight through my bat? Or you would say, why does that thing look like it's a cookie down the middle and ends up over my head? You know, <laughs> so like it's you could tell that there was something special there. And when we heard that <laughs> that he we were getting him. For one, it was, thank goodness we don't have to face him again because <laughs> we were playing them that year. But then, two, it was like, holy crap, we got something special going. But um, that the start of that season was so weird because, like I said, everyone on that team in the fall of 20 was a fall All-American. Like, we're literally all hitting. It seemed like 400. We're all battling to see who can have the most homers. For whatever reason, the offense was hot. 
we come into the spring camp and it's like a complete switch. So the pitchers are now getting us out. Everyone's like scratching and crawling and crawling for a hit. You know, it seems like at least, and then we get in the beginning of the season, we win the first game, but then it almost seems like for the next week or month, we're scratching and clawing again. And I think because we didn't come out so hot, um, of, of course we were winning, but because people weren't just blowing up the stat line, it helped us down the stretch. And that's also why we have so many comeback wins. We learned to be not only a talented team, but a gritty team. So like, if you were going to beat us, you had to beat us. Like we were not going to do anything to give it to you. Um, so I think that's why that team had all the success that it did. Hey, um, hey Randy, the one guy that did get a hold of Doe, you know, and and when Chase came on here, he talked about it. Gilbert did get him for a, oh, a yeah. And he said the second he stepped on campus, he said uh, Drew let him know all about it. Yep. That that sounds exactly like Gilbert. <laughs> no doubt. So I want to ask you, how much fun was the Kentucky series where you hit a home run like in every game, man? I mean, you just seeing the ball well? Oh, yeah. No, that was that was great. It was uh yeah, that was um it was it was a pretty fun stretch because I think that's when I had it it started with either Kentucky or the midweek, and I went on to hit like five homers in six games or whatever. Uh um, pretty but cool. yeah, that Kentucky weekend, it was like everything was feeling good. It was one of those situations where um even your bad swings you're barreling balls and as a hitter that is one of the best feelings you can have you know you're in pre-game um i can't relate MVP and all that and you're taking these kind of bad swings and you're still barreling it. you're like they better watch out so that's kind of what the weekend was like um that was a fun series and yeah let me ask you something luke i think we have this in common do you hate the university of alabama um, I mean, cause you like football. killed them. Like every time you played them, you just, you murdered them. <laughs> football. Yeah. What? Well, I, apparently I hated South Carolina, um, but university of Alabama, not so much. I actually liked the guys on their team. Um, they were almost in the same situation that we were, but just two years behind when we played them. So they were like new coaching change. Um, still kind of bad at the time, but getting better. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that they just kind of saw me at a bad time. <laughs> you know, I forgot about the South Carolina thing, Randy. That actually happened on Twitter this past week. Remember, uh, so there was a college baseball thing and it said, who's the scariest person to see come to the plate? And a South Carolina account put you up on there. I, I, I saw that. So one of my one of my buddies sent that to me. But yeah, they're, uh, they're, they're for whatever reason, I, I, I loved hitting against them. And it was funny because – I knew it, what had happened in 2021. It was two homers in three games that Friday night. I hit a homer and I'm like, uh, here we go again. I think someone tweeted. They're like, God, I hate Luke Lipsius. And so like, <laughs> just at that point in the season, like we're on egos already kind of getting high and it's like, God, uh, nothing can stop you. Yeah, man. So now obviously the end of 2021, you're hosting a regional. So, you know, not just getting there, you're hosting it. You talked about the legends of Lindsey Nelson. What was the environment like for that first game of regionals? I don't think anyone in Knoxville was like ready to host a regional as in Tennessee fans go absolutely bonkers for their sports teams. You We're know? a little crazy, man. It's, it's very fair weather fans for the most, for some part, but they, Oh my God, they showed out and they, Oh, they brought their all. And it was just unreal. The atmosphere, everyone's getting rowdy at the games. We got the little block party going on on the street over, you know, it's, it was just crazy. And I think that host 
made everyone realize how much fun these games can go can be and then it just carried on into the supers and stuff and into the next year um it's it's a lot better than the uh the 500 fans we had per week in my freshman year. So, well, that's what I was going to say when we had Tony V on his dad actually had a, a quote that they counted the fans in the stands, the very first game that he coached there. And then to see that atmosphere, watch parties outside the stadium. I mean, and, and I've told this to, you know, Sean and Evan and all these guys that come on is like, did you guys ever have a moment where you thought like, man, we did this. Like we did this. Oh, 100%. It was, it, it seemed like it was almost every game. Um, I would always like joke with one of the older guys. It's like, just look around, like, look what's happening. What the craziest thing was, was when we finished BP, there was still no one in the stands. And I guess they would open the gates when the other team was taking it and we were in the locker room. So we would go into no one and come out to basically a packed house. And that's, it seemed like almost every single home game. It was like, wow, these fans are awesome. You know, and so it was, it was just crazy. Yeah, so speaking of that regional, you go two for four, home run, a double, two RBIs in the win, but you were overshadowed, my guy, in a in a <laughs> clip that goes viral. And, and for those that don't know, that don't follow college baseball like we do, they see Wright State and they're like, why is Tennessee even in a game with a team like that? They just don't understand, right? There's so many good baseball teams in college, and the name really doesn't mean a whole lot a lot of the time. But just what was, the first of all, the game like for you, and then what was it like watching – Gilbert, did y'all know when he went up to the plate, like, this is it, game time? So, I'll, I'll do me and then the team first. For me, it was it was just cool, you know, playing in my first ever regional game because I missed out in junior year. And getting a double my first A-B, it's kind of a really good relaxer, you know. Um, take the load off, take the stress off, you're fine. As far as the team goes, so, for one, that Wright State team had no business being a four seed. Okay. They, I think they were, like – top 10 in homers as an offense. And then of course their pitching defense were um, all right, but still like playing in that game, it's like we would go up three runs and then they would hit a three run home run. And then we would go up two more runs, two run home runs. So it was almost like, Jesus Christ, we're going to have to score 20 this game, you know? And, and that's not a diss on our pitchers. Yeah. Their, their hitters were just unbelievable. I can tell you what they're taking, they're taking pitches this far off the plate but then hitting homers on ones that are right on. And you're like, what is going on? So it was the eighth inning. I want to say they're up by one. And then they, a guy comes up, I think he hits an oppo, oppo two run bomb. They go up by three. And so at that point, you know, it's, you don't want to start believing stuff, but it's almost like shit. Like we're going to try to come back, but if we don't, we got to get ready for that next game. And so we go into the bottom and I think it goes walk out, hit, walk. And so Rucker was the guy to get walked right before Gilbert. And when Rucker got walked and loaded the bases, I think the whole bench just like looked at each other was like, we're going to win this game. And so I don't think anyone thought it would be in the fashion that it was, you know, bottom of the bottom of the ninth, um, one out, bases loaded, you know, and everybody dreams of that as a kid down by three. Um, but then like Gilbert did it. And I think that's like, it, it's just, it it's, it's in line with him, you know, like who else, but 
Drew Gilbert. But the crazy wow. part is he said he couldn't remember it. He said it was like he blacked out after. Oh, he I, I don't. I believe. I believe so. I think we all kind of blacked out for a second as soon as we heard the ball go off the bat. You know, like well, Patello ran. He like ran and jumped into the stands. If it wasn't been for the netting, I think he would have been crowd surfing. Oh, 100%. I think V was up there after the game, too. Like, V was, V ran out and almost like chased Gilby down. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that, that moment was unbelievable. Yeah, man. So, obviously, going into the next game, you set a, a new career high, two home runs, tied a career high with three runs scored in the uh, regional win over Liberty. And the next day, you advanced to the super regional. Then, the obviously, electric atmosphere we've been talking about at Ledges and Lindsey Nelson. You take care of business against a familiar foe in LSU. So I got something to say about the LSU. First of all, were you guys were you aware of the the things that had been said about your crowd by Paul Maneri? All respect in the world to Paul Maneri and what he's done for college baseball. But were you guys aware of that going into the Supers? Oh, one hundred percent. And I think it got us all fired up because, like, what he said, we were being mean, yeah. But I don't think it was anything that he shouldn't be used to at LSU. You know, agree. Um, and so it was. It was like why are you crying about it? Like, if you come here again, we're just going to like keep whooping you. Like it, it, now it, it's going to be worse. Us all up for sure. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I was like, thanks Paul for being a crybaby. Um, but yeah, that guy, that guy is an absolute legend. And um, it was just, it was, it was very cool to like beat a team like that um, at home to ice super regional. Um, especially we went five and zero against them that season. Which, oh, I know. And, I don't let Jim yeah. let that down. If, if you uh if you ask anyone in college baseball beating a team five times is unheard of especially so a team as talented as them man you that, that team's really talented exactly and so um it, it was just so cool and of course the atmosphere showed up but yeah so you talked about it already but like the uh the the moment when you punch the ticket do you do you flash back to like you know getting not as having as many offers and, and leaning on the academic scholarship and just where you come from to this coming in Serrano and you having the toxicity problems and you look around and Holy shit, we just beat LSU. We're going to Omaha. How surreal was that? Oh, it was unbelievable. It seemed like five years of emotions just came out at once, you know? And, and so as a, as a baseball player, the step down from getting drafted or making it to the majors, whatever is going to Omaha, you know, that is the pinnacle of college baseball and it's it's a feeling like like no other I'll I'll never forget that that feeling then trumped my my high school homer feeling you know um and just like dogpiling and everything is a magical moment I yeah absolutely I got a question for you since you brought up the dogpile it's always a fun question where did you end up bottom top middle where were you I was kind of there in the middle because I was uh giving a high five to Rucker or whatever and I made sure to kind of hover so I wouldn't be on the bottom. And then I just kind of dove in in the middle, you know, so I was kind of like on the outside. So I didn't get a get crushed or anything. I probably like smushed or humped at least a couple of guys. <laughs> yeah, no, because uh, after Landon Sims and Logan Tanner came on here, they said they about died at the bottom of there. So, I, I you know, I didn't play baseball. And if I did and, and I knew something like that, I'm telling you, I'm going to be the last guy getting out there. I'll, I'll jump on top and save from getting crushed. But, exactly. But nah, since, nah, you know, nah. you talked about LSU, I told Randy he had to take a breath after this moment. Give me a second to, you know, especially since y'all talk about the way y'all beat us. He says he never lets me live it down. He's not lying, nor does Tennessee Twitter. But, you know, give me something positive, Luke. You know, Dylan Cruz hit two bombs in that in that game where y'all eliminated him. You know, talk about, like, you know, what you saw. Could you tell, uh, you know, how good and how special he was going to be watching him play? So, 
and not just me, everyone on the team, I think, went back into the dugout or in the locker room after we won and literally said, that kid has no business playing college baseball. Like he was by far the best kid we've ever seen. And then um, I want to bring up a story about Trey Morgan. So both series they played against us, his first game at Tennessee, the legends let him have it. Just absolutely let him have it because he's the first baseman. They're closest to him. Looking up stats, blah, blah, blah. He goes 0 for 4 with four punchies um, the Friday of the regular season series. He goes 0 for 4 with three punchies the first game of the Super. The next day, or I guess the next two days, it seemed like he he went, I think it was like 7 for 8 in the series and then like 3 for 4 with however many doubles and like three homers. So that kid, you could tell like, all right, one game he's, you got him, but then he's, this guy's pretty legit. But yeah, the talent on that team, especially the young talent, um, it's going to manifest this year. That uh, that series down in Baton Rouge is going to be a fun one. Yeah. Since you bring up Morgan, you know, from first baseman to first baseman, you know, you talk about what he's doing offensively. Uh, you know, that dude's ridiculous defensively. Oh yeah. No, he's, he's just an athlete. You know, it's, it's really cool to see someone over there that almost is like a lefty shortstop, you know, able to get to everything as a, a really accurate and accurate arm. Um, yeah, nothing, nothing but good praise for him. He's a really good player. Yeah. So, you know, you talk about this upcoming year and, and I want to bring this up because every time me and the, me and the Tennessee fan base get along well, until we bring up March 30th through April 2nd, this upcoming season, um, we're all going to be down there, you know, obviously with number one and number two, if it stays the way it looks now, it's going to be a big deal. And so with that, you know, y'all brought, y'all brought up Coach Paul Venary, and every time I get into an argument with these guys, they got to send me a crying meme of my coach. <laughs> and, and, you know, like, I mean, how do y'all sleep at night doing that to that old man? I just got to know. Like a baby. Yeah, we, he did it to himself. What do you mean? <laughs> but y'all, man, leave that man alone. That is a legend, and y'all just still, I mean, it, we're a couple years removed, and it, it's the meme still going around every chance Tennessee fans get it. He said we were meanies. Yeah. <laughs> we were meanies. Oh, God. So, no, I uh, actually went to Omaha, Luke. Uh, I wasn't a sore sport. Uh, you know, we have IOTB uh, shirts in our in our favorite teams, and so I went there, uh, had Tennessee shirt. My son wore all about that cheese shirt. It had the drip. It's actually, uh, it, it was getting compliments everywhere. He had like the coolest uh, shirt. So it was cool to uh, to go there and watch y'all. But, you know, you talked about it for a minute with Randy, but just uh, before you get into the next season, just talk about like the Omaha experience, just like from the time you get there, like, you know, is it is it all business or do you get to take it in and enjoy it? Especially because, you know, you talk about those moments as a kid and now you're actually there. Yeah, so it's a little bit of both. I think playing baseball or just even college sports in general, you learn to compartmentalize what you're doing. So when it's time to go, it's time to go. When it's time to relax, it's time to relax. Um, so we get there. I think it was like uh, so almost a week earlier than our first game, um, just because of all the hoopla and whatever. And so when you get there at first, um, you're just in this really nice hotel. You know, it's Omaha. You can see everything set up, all this stuff. Um, my favorite thing to do, like I mentioned, is that we were treated basically like celebrities. I, we would, with a couple of my buddies would walk around, uh, the Omaha village. <clears throat> and I, whenever I saw someone with a Tennessee shirt, I say, go balls. And like, at first they're just like, yeah. And then they turn away and they look back and like, <laughs> what? <laughs> so I think that was one of the most like gratifying experiences because they're like, wow, these people all know who I am. 
Um, but then uh, on the way to the first game, there was a whole send off with a bunch of Tennessee fans and just like the pageantry and, and all of it surrounding Omaha is great. Now, one thing I do um, think it's kind of silly that we missed out on was opening ceremonies, um, gifts and all that stuff because it was the year after COVID. So I didn't really get to experience that. Uh, but as far as business and pleasure goes, when we were practicing, th there was a sense like, hey, like we got to lock it in. Uh, but other than that, you know, we were just being kids. There's plenty to do around the hotel and all that. And so it was, it was just a really good time and a really good experience overall. Yeah, man. So didn't end the way you wanted it to, but going into 2022, you guys, you know, talked about the confidence boost from, you know, when you started the COVID year, but now you guys are not the hunters as much as anymore. You're the hunted, even though going into the season, Jim and I and, and DB were saying you guys were ranked like I think 17th coming into the season. I thought it was criminal, right? Bringing yeah. back what you guys were. And everybody kept saying, well, they lost this and they lost that. And we'll talk about the team that's coming up now. I think they got a little same, some of the same disrespect, but maybe not. But had you underranked, but you're a force to be reckoned with. Speaking of forces, Luke, you, 313, 19 home runs, 44 RBIs, 70 runs. But let's start on the, the series that I think myself put the nation on notice. You go into Oxford, Mississippi. Mm. You're facing off against the number one team at the time, number one team, which would become the College World Series champion, and just absolutely skull drag them, especially in that first game. What was that moment like, and was that y'all's goal going? Obviously, you want to win the series, but was the goal to just let the world know? Yeah, I think uh, I think that series was um... – a culmination of everything that happened up to it. I think that we knew, especially going into the season, we got gypped on a ranking. Of course, you're not supposed to look at rankings, but um, nobody really liked ranking us high at the start for whatever reason. And so we're all like, all right, let's let it fuel the fire, blah, blah, blah. Um, so we, <laughs> we played the midweek, whatever, and we knew that it's coming up. And so I think a bunch of us had been watching Ole Miss and realized like, Hey, this team is extremely beatable. Um, and so that sentiment switched then to like, guys, this is our chance. I think we were five at the time or six, whatever it was. They were number one. We're like, we're going to be number one after this weekend. Now, if you ask people, did we think we were going to sweep? No, because sweeps anywhere, especially on the road in the SEC, really hard. We did a lot of it. That's why this team was so special. But going into Ole Miss, we knew that we – not only had a chance, but we just were going to beat them. And coming out that Friday night, it just kind of solidified all of our thinking. And then to put fuel on the fire for us, their players came out and were like, oh, they played a small park. We didn't think they were going to hit actual home runs. And we're like, like, come on, guys. Like, we'll just beat you again and again. And so kudos to that team because they started out hot and they trailed off. They just lost whatever they had against us. We started, we watched, or I watched them against some other teams. They were just fumbling. And so if I'm being candid, I didn't think they deserved a spot in the, in a regional. Um, we, we said, we said the same. We thought three. NC State got gypped. Yes. NC State, Bama, those teams. And so when they got in, I was like, what is going on? And then you see them starting to make this run and then, they win it all, and it's it's hard not to be happy for them. They had a bunch of good guys on that team, especially Tim Alco. Um, he's a great guy. Um, he's he's been through a lot too. You just you just love it, and it's really good for them, um, especially an SEC team on the top. You know, but yeah, that that series to 
to fire us up, fire the nation up, let them everyone, let everyone know we're here. Um, I think we carry that energy all the way throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, I was at that series, Luke, and and I, my favorite part was texting Randy in the fourth inning. I was like, these folks are leaving. I was uh-huh. like, they, they they are hitting the exits. They are gone. And uh, and I you know I live closest to Oxford, so that's where I go to most of the games uh, and try to check out everybody coming in. And I've never I've never seen you know that stadium so dejected than what y'all did to them. And it, and it, it was pretty funny. But a note to give you just to, when you talk about those guys, Dylan Delusha, I like guys who shoot it straight. And Randy loved this. He came on and said, look, he was like, because he didn't want us to talk about how he said that they overlooked y'all. You know, he was like, don't bring that up. But we did anyway. And oh, he uh, said it. Yeah. And so he 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 owned it. And he said, man, I could not have been happier that they did not make it to Omaha because he said he he was open and honest with it. He goes, I wanted nothing to do with that team again. Yeah. Yeah. No, that was uh, I had all the respect because he ended up because I think he, he started out as a. Um, a reliever that season mm-hmm. ended yeah. up being their Friday guy. So yeah, kudos to him for, for helping them out. But yeah, I was, uh, I, it's, it's neat to say what could have been, you know, uh, but it is what it is. I think Tennessee will have plenty more opportunities to make it to Omaha and win it. Absolutely. So there's, there's, there's a, there's a rule we have on the show and uh, we've had, I think uh, every, a, a member of almost every sec baseball team on there's two. We haven't had Luke. Florida and Vanderbilt and that rule stays true baby so you guys y'all sweep both of them which is glorious for not just me I would say me as a Tennessee fan but for all of us here on in off the bench but let's talk about what went down at Vandy after they take away Jordan Beck's home run and then you mash one of your own at what point did you have it in your mind that you were going to check the bat or did that just come oh no so as soon as his bat got checked I'm thinking, and I'm, there's whispers, like, if someone hits a home run, they have to check their own bat. Um, and so it, it just worked out that I was the one to hit the home run. Um, and I was getting so fired up. That second base umpire hurt a lot more than he should have. And it wasn't he wasn't even the one that was in it. I was just saying, like, check the bat. Check the freaking bat, you know? Um, and so then I say get freaking? home. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit PG. And so uh, – I don't know why I'm screaming at him, but then we come around and, and Trey is handing me the bat. And I'm looking at it. Oh man, it was, it was absolutely fantastic. And I think that's one thing about this season um, that made it so fun for me is like, I'd always played with, with confidence, let's say junior and on and, and knew I was pretty good, all that. I don't think that I played as carefree and just as expressive as I did this season, this past season um as I did I think that was one of the the most fun things I remember Russell coming up to us or not us he was, came up to me he's like dude like who are you where did this come from and I'm like it's easy to do when you're doing well you know like it, it seemed like everyone was just on one that whole season it was so fun yeah so we asked your teammates before if they liked it what they liked better you checking the bat or you tapping one finger <laughs> on home plate and most of them have said the tapping the finger on home plate but which one do you like better Luke you know, I think people will remember the tap of the finger more. What I think is funny, uh, if you guys have seen the movie Bench Warmers, I'm sure you have. Oh, oh yeah. Yeah, he makes a sound. He goes, beep. And just like, I made that sound when I tapped the plate. And I don't think anyone heard it. But yeah, I think the finger tap it. Uh, that was just one of those things that manifested itself too, because I was running around home. I was dead in the water if it was a good throw. The throw takes the catcher way up the line, and I think he misses it. So I'm literally just sitting there, and I don't have to worry about anything. And I'm like, this would be funny. 
and then tap the play, and then you know, rest is history. I mean, they had a lot of t-shirts and hats and everything. And, and he yeah. just said the key thing, Randy. He said it would be funny. And that's the thing. Like, he's just having fun. And that was the thing uh-huh. that so many of your teammates came on and said, I don't understand what's so wrong with us having fun. Like, so many people villainized y'all for just having fun. I uh, I have a, a major problem with people who are against the way we played this year. Now, we did take it a little far at the end um, with the whole flipping off the center fielder. <laughs> Love that guy. I don't think he meant anything bad by it. I think he just let the motions get, get to him. And so that uh, is a no. But as far as playing with passion, as far as like getting rowdy, all that stuff that made us fun to watch, that's the way college baseball needs to be. And there's people that like um, – Respect to Corbin. Um, he's done great things for baseball. That team is electric, but it's a bunch of robots, you know? And so, like, they do their stuff, and it's all eyewash. And um, that's why they, like, don't even pack their 2,000-person stadium um, when they play, you know? Um, and so, it's it, – I think that we have started something where people realize, like, hey, it's pretty fun to do. Um and people start playing with passion more, you know, I, I just love to see it. it. It makes it more fun for everyone. Well, I just found my, my TikTok clip right there, but listen, <laughs> as a guy that you, you, you obviously give those teams respect, Florida and Vanderbilt, both have won championships and you took, you guys took some punishment from them your first couple of years and oh, yeah. yeah, you talked about it. So for you, which sweep this, that year was, was better. Which one'd you like Van- more? Vanderbilt 100%. Um, Florida, They've always, they're just a powerhouse, you know, it's really cool to beat them and especially the way we did away, but every single year, if you're, if you go to Tennessee, you play baseball at Tennessee, you have that Vandy series circle. And I think especially since with the um, success they had the year prior with them coming into our place, beating us, we really had it circled. Um, And so that, that sweep was definitely a lot more rewarding, not only because the back checking. Not not only because that was the first time I personally had beat them or been a part of a team that beat them, um, but like it's it's Vanderbilt, you know, they're the top dogs in college baseball, and we took them, we swept them at their own own place, you know. So it was oh, that was just amazing too. They're calling out the lights, man, bats. I mean, it's just a lot uh-huh. of stuff. So back to the state of Mississippi, you go down to Duty Noble, you hit five eighty three seven hits two bombs in that sweep now we know how y'all dominated y'all should have been the mississippi state champions in my opinion but to talk about duty noble for a second you said you played there a bunch just talk about how how great is that stadium for one how great is that atmosphere it's uh it's hard to beat as far as the best atmosphere in college baseball um especially with the renovations they did everything looks so nice playing surfaces is really good all that stuff and like the fans there um they're not mean fans so you can get behind them as a as an opposing team you know they just like to get rowdy and have fun uh but that atmosphere is absolutely crazy you know i will say i said it's the best atmosphere in college baseball i have never played at arkansas which i think would be either a first or a second of them but that, that's an interesting know, argument that has been taking place constantly right now yeah and so i i can't really weigh in um i mean it's I will say I would I would even as a fan of Arkansas if I had to go Ooh, pig Stewie, you know every time I I think I would get tired of hearing that 
But Duty Noble, with what they've done with that stadium, with their history of baseball and everything, that that atmosphere was absolutely crazy because I had also played there freshman year, too. So this whole kind of full circle thing happening would made it even cooler. No, absolutely. It's a beautiful stadium, obviously. You oh, know, yeah. Jim's been there a bunch. I've been there. It's, it's I was something... there for that series. The thing that I'll give Mississippi State fans over Ole Miss, I talked about how the Ole Miss fans left in the fourth inning. I mean, Tennessee's over 20 runs, and Mississippi State fans are still watching. Like, I was – Oh, yeah. I mean, they, they were actually – I talked to a bunch of them. They were enjoying watching y'all do what y'all were doing. You know, it was a rough season for them. They might as well enjoy watching the best team in baseball. Exactly. And that's why you can't not like them. I think I remember thinking that like, wow, these people are still here. Like it was, uh, I think it was either that Friday game or the Sunday game when we beat them pretty bad as well. I think it was the Friday game when they scored a run late in the game. Oh yeah. uh, To make it 27 to two. Exactly. They got as rowdy. You you would have thought they were basically walking it off and I'm like, what is going on? And so (laughs) it it was such a cool place. Love playing there. Yeah, so you guys go on. You win the SEC tournament. Now you're the number one overall seed. And we talked about it a little bit earlier, and I told these guys on the podcast and everybody that would listen, I saw the the, the matchups, and I thought that you guys kind of got screwed for the second year in a row with some of the matchups, especially the Notre Dame thing. I did not want to see you guys face Notre Dame because basically they were playing a team full of Luke Lipsius, right? Veterans that yep. had been there. They had done that. And I knew they weren't going to be rattled. They had been in the duty noble, didn't come out on top, but it taught them – how to get over that. So they weren't going to be rattled by the atmosphere, the Lindsey Nelson legends and all that. But was it this was how was the atmosphere for you guys in the in the regionals and super regionals? Now the atmosphere's here, right? The the legends of Lindsey Nelson, it's packed and you can't get tickets. Trust me as a fan, you can't get them. So was it even more electrifying in this last season or was it, it just continue the same as the year before? You know, I'd say it it's just hard to beat that first like super regional like or like um atmosphere just because it was the first time we were so good hosting super blah 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 so people are rowdy i will say i think people almost knew that we were going to be there but still got just as rowdy so the the atmosphere was still just as good um like you said i think we got kind of gypped in the regional just cuz Campbell hits freaking bombs again Georgia Tech, most homers, blah, blah, blah. It seemed like they just wanted to see the most homers happen in one regional possible. <laughs> and so we were we were all like, here we go again. Because we thought um, that 2021 season we got you because it was the right state team that had no business being a four seed. The Liberty team, that was really good. Yeah. And so then this year, again, it's like, we're the number one overall seed. Uh, Arkansas is over here playing NJIT. Like, what are we doing? <laughs> and so um, it was one of the, one of those things. We made it through the regional. And then I think that at that point we were all naive. And so you guys hit it on the head with that team being full of veterans, um, all this stuff. I think a lot of us were thinking like, listen, they can't play with us. And so we, I don't think that we put them aside, but we might've been a little bit overconfident. And so um, that's the sentiment that I had that I felt. And so now looking back, you're like, yeah, um, it came together for them. I also think that Beck flipping off the center fielder was such bad karma that that just rolled over. The baseball gods hated it. Um, and it's just one of those things. That, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, the Drew, the Drew Gilbert thing to too. The Gilbert guy at home plate. I just, it, yeah. anyways, there was just a lot of, so you personally talk, run through that series a little bit. 
you had a rough game one against Notre Dame, but bounced back in a huge way. Had a couple bombs, uh, and even lead off game three with another one. So we've had you know some of your pitching teammates on, and we had on Jack Brannigan. We're going to tell you that story in a minute. They're like the day <laughs> after the day after they eliminate Tennessee. I turn on my damn Zoom meeting. We're going to do our podcast. Who am I looking at? The guy that just absolutely dominated. Hey, and that's why you don't make fun of LSU, Luke, because payback is a bitch. I know, I know. That that guy went off. He's he's a really good player. He he uh, is a really good player. But by all accounts, even uh, real quick, even Jack, when he came on, he was so nice, so humble. And he even said that, you know, you guys were the better team, just not that day, not that series. You think that's a fair assessment? Oh, 100%. So I think they did a really good job of setting the tone on Friday. Like we're here. Cause I think they had like four homers off of, of blade. Um, and maybe he didn't have his best stuff, whatever, regardless, they had four homers and they played their, their asses off. They were such a good team Friday night. Um, we come back. I'll, I'll kind of talk about the team sentiment. They'll go back to my own. Um, we come back, we boat race in that second game. And oh, so yeah. of course I had a, I had a good game. Um, that game was really fun because Russ started the game with 39, no, with 38 homers. I started with 37. Um, he, I hit the 38th home run and then he hits the 39th. So he now has tied the record or set the record. I guess it is. He's now set the record. I get up later that inning and I tie it. So that's two homers in one inning. Um, and so it, that was crazy because I think there was like five, like four or five homers that inning. But so we end up boat racing them. Come back. Um, we were the home team that day. And so when we are, and I'm bent two hole. So I hit, I hit that homer. And at that point in my mind, we had won the game because they, whatever momentum they would have had if they had started hot that game coming off of a loss was just blown. And so I was figuring, all right, it's going to be another seven, nothing, nine, nothing, whatever. And, you know, they just stuck around. They pitched really well after that. Nobody seemed to get on, get hits. And then that guy comes up. Now everyone says that Burns should have been pulled. And I just don't believe so because I believe that there was an error or two mixed in there in that seventh inning that would have kept them behind. I also think that the fact that this little five, eight, whatever it is, five, seven guy who has one homer on the season gets into one, like, is that not just something manifesting itself? You know, it's, that's baseball. it's almost like it's, it's meant to happen that way. And so, like I said, Friday night, definitely they were the better team. Saturday night, we were – that Sunday game was just a really good game. It was a pitcher's duel. They got the best of us, um, and, and yeah, and kept us from going to Omaha. Oh, man, it was so tough. But for you, a guy that, like, you had been through the, the – started where you did at the bottom and then all the way up to here, how tough was it for you personally to come from where you did be the best team in the country, maybe the best regular season team we've ever seen in college baseball to come up short. Because like Tony V said, the culture change started with you and your brother. How, just how, how, how tough was that for you personally? So it was extremely tough, especially because everyone thought that we were, when the game ended, I don't think anyone was sad. They were like, 
distraught and confused because no one like even had a thread of doubt that we were not going to go back to Omaha that year. And so it was, it was more of a weird feeling, but then, um, you know, of course the initial emotions set in, you get really sad. You look around, you take it in one, one last time. And I don't think I was as sad that we weren't going to Omaha because I knew that we had done so much cool stuff throughout the regular season that that team was going to get remembered. You know, mm-hmm. like that team made a statement, made an impact, will be remembered in Tennessee baseball history. Um, and so then for me personally, it was more just the realization that this was it as a college baseball player. So that's where I drew my sadness because I know Tony B is going to be fine. He's going to win however many championships he is um, and that everyone else will get over it. But yeah, that's that's where I got sad was um, realizing that my career was over and I'm not going to be able to hang out with these guys as much anymore and that kind of deal. He could have been like Redman and just gone back and started coaching, man. You know, so just hang on a little longer. <laughs> oh my God. No, clean, clean break. <laughs> no, understood. So last question before I turn you over to Daniel. Uh, we have talked about it a bunch in this, but just to reiterate it, you know, again, from what you came in as and what you ended as completely changed everything that anybody knows about Tennessee baseball. So appreciation from a guy like me that Tennessee had not really been good in college baseball since I was a little kid. So mm-hmm. for, to watch you guys kind of bring that back and everybody gives credit to Tony B it's well-deserved Josh Elander, Frank Anderson. But for me, you know, it's you guys out there doing the work. It's you guys putting in that time. So appreciation to you and all the guy Evan, I tell him the same thing, but man, it, it's been a one hell of a fun ride to watch you guys, man. Yeah. Thank you. I, I think it's, it's so great for the people in Knoxville, you know, and especially you see, how well our other sports are doing it's like no matter what time of the year tennessee is going to be good at something you know it's an everything school loop exactly everything school watch out but yeah it's it's so cool that the fans are backing us um it's it's absolutely amazing to see but yeah i I appreciate that so you you talk about it being an everything school and so we got to talk more about this academic part (laughs) Uh, I I got so many questions, man. It it, it looks like you you've enrolled in the dual MS MBA program. All right, mm-hmm. so you know, I think this is a funny name for a college, the Tickle College of Engineering. <laughs> yeah. I just I laugh every every time I, I read that. Um, but obviously, this dual program, and this is where I'm going to need you to explain it for me because I, I need it dumbed down. It says the program addresses the critical need for personnel trained in both engineering and management who can integrate an increasingly complex body of knowledge for rapid introduction of new products to the marketplace. Uh, Yeah. What what, what does all that mean? it's, It's just a bunch of mumbo jumbo. Basically, it means that engineers, generally speaking, are nerds that don't have great people skills. Businessmen are not smart that have really good people skills. This degree puts them together, right? And makes you well-rounded in a good way and not the bad way. Gotcha. So, you know, looking for forward, you know, as an engineering undergrad student, you, you formed an interest, obviously, in propulsion and, and jet engine pr- product development. Um, you see, Are you seeing that as the future career? Um, I do. Or, or what, what is the future career? What is the ideal dream scenario for you right now? So I, I do really hope to get into that area. I'm actually currently pursuing um, a role or two with GE Aircraft, who is the leading 
uh, engine manufacturer of commercial airplanes and then some military aircraft. So I think the ideal life for me is get a job in GE in five to 10 years, work myself into a management position, another five or 10 years, a uh, higher leadership position, maybe end in the executive office of GE. Um, where I see myself when I'm 50 slash like 55 is getting my private private's pilot's license um, and just flying around because that's kind of where my interest lies. It's really flying the planes. And of course, I'm, I'm extremely interested in, in how to make them go fast and all that stuff. But that would be my ideal life. It's moving up to Cincinnati near my brother, uh, hanging out, doing some cool stuff with some cool planes and then retiring where I, I have my license. I own a hangar. I own my own plane and all this stuff. So obviously, you know, we, we had Redmond Walsh on, we talked to him a little bit and he's adamant that you're a genius. You're the mm -hmm. smartest dude on the planet in, in his eyes. So I'll ask you in regards to the brain side of it, how smart do you think you are? So that's kind of a funky question because book smart, I think I'm way up there. Like stuff comes easy to me. As far as common sense goes, I do some pretty stupid stuff. And so like, it's like all of my brain power is spent on the school stuff. And then when I'm not doing that, I, it's just turned off. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an empty cavern up there. Um, and so that's why when people are like, dude, this kid's the smartest kid you'll ever meet. I'm like, well, just hang out with me for a few days and you'll probably think differently. Um, but as, as far as that, he loves bragging on my smarts because we would sit in class together. He would cheat off of me. You know, I hope Dante's not listening. But yeah, he would <laughs> he would cheat off of me and stuff. And so he always likes to bring that up. Uh, but I'd, I'd say I'm a pretty smart guy. Yeah, I mean, when you start throwing in jet propulsion and ms mba and just the whole really the whole like i basically read the catalog for the program to you and none of that made sense to me and i immediately go well it's just because i'm not smart enough so <laughs> um but man obviously you you talk about the timeline you talk about you know what it is that you, you the end result is but looking at it right now like how, like, where are you in regards to chasing that dream and accomplishing it? Do you feel like you still need to like get your foot in the door or do you feel like you're, you're in the door? It's just now you just got to go through the process. I think it's more uh, in the door going through the process. And so what sucks about being an athlete in college, especially baseball, just with the timing of everything you don't have an opportunity to get experience in the form of an internship or whatever. And so I'm trying to um, woo these people with my people skills. Of course, I have knowledge from school, um, but as, as far as experience goes, you know, I don't think they want to hear about uh, my walk off against LSU. You know, that doesn't really directly translate to, I would, I would hire interview. you. It, Actually, <laughs> you know, so I think about it. You seen, you seen that movie 21 Luke? Yeah. Where he says, dazzle me with a story to get him, you know, that scholarship. Like, I don't yeah. know, man, if you come in and tell me some of your baseball stories, I might be like, you know what? You're my guy. 
it's so it's it's funny because I had, I had a, an interview and I made it really far in the process with GE. The guy that I interviewed with was an ex track runner at Auburn, and so immediately then I'm like, oh, I'm in. Um, didn't end up getting the position. I think it was more of a timing thing because I have to start in May. I think they wanted someone now. Regardless, that's I'm that's my bread and butter. Is someone who kind of understands college sports, knows the work you put in, knows the people skills we have, and knows that like I'll be able to learn whatever's on the job. But as far as um, future for me goes, I'd say I'm I'm foot's in the door. I'm applying places, just looking for someone to give me a chance, you know, because I know once that I'm there, they're going to be like, holy crap, this kid's pretty cool, you know? I mean, I I would guess that whoever got that job over you, they ain't hitting, they ain't hitting no bomb. <laughs> yeah, I don't think they've sniffed the baseball field. Yeah, I don't think there's a doubt in any of our mind that you're going to end up landing, landing somewhere and they're going to be uh... – really beneficiaries of uh of having you a part of their team hey before you go i just i mean you're applying for these positions uh with my competitor i work for siemens luke and you're going with ge that's my number one competitor so <laughs> if you could apply for siemens sometimes you know that made me feel better then i'll put yeah, in a good yeah. word i'm like that guy had walk off bombs if if siemens puts together some airplanes and then let me know we do, <laughs> we do trains you know that's kind of more what we're into monorail like, kind of things. like land planes <laughs> yeah. randy you know what one of the most fascinating but yet boring conversations might be is if him and casper got together to talk about engineering uh so I would be lost yeah we we have a friend luke who is in my opinion one of the smartest people that i know for sure but when you talk about people skills that are not up there he didn't go to tickle engineering school he went to cba cbu and they don't teach people skills over there because he still don't got them yep no it's exactly and so that's it's, it's one of those things that like engineering as a discipline i always joked with my friends i'm like yeah like I'm, I'm around all these weirdos like i don't know how i'm gonna make any friends they're pretty cool just like it's it's a different vibe you know because you're around athletes and um, it's just like kind of different interests and, and different ways. But I think that also helps me out because now I can talk to whoever, you know, you bring me a smart person. I'm like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. You bring me, um, uh, say a baseball player. And I'm like, Oh, blah, blah, blah. You know? So I, it's, it's a cool, uh, cool mix. Well, keep the smart people away from me. Bring me whoever knows about sports. As a matter of fact, there's no more awkward situation. My wife will tell you, I'll be talking to a guy, you know, especially be like when her friends will bring the husband around and, and I'll say, you know, so who's your favorite whatever team? And they'll be like, I don't watch sports. And I'm like, oof, this ain't. Yeah, this I don't, I don't know how work. you could not watch any sports. <laughs> like, it just makes you a doorknob, you know. Exactly. But let's get into this game. Obviously, uh, I think you'll be able to understand it being as intelligent as you are. It's this or that. And it's got two simple rules. Uh, you know, you pick one option or the other. You can't say neither, and you can't say both. So you down to play? I'm down. All right, so, you know, this isn't a typical question, but being a smart guy like yourself, are you books or movies? Oh, movies, for sure. I do not like reading. <laughs> a smart guy that doesn't like reading. That's interesting. <laughs> uh, tacos or pizza? Oh, tacos. All right, now I'm going to get to a hard one. This has been a hard one for every one of your teammates. One's got to go. The daddy yeah. hat or the fur coat? Oh, man. See, the daddy hat came before the fur coat, but the fur coat is so swaggy. My answer is the daddy hat goes. All right. I got a good answer. I got a question for you on the fur coat. It seems to be a pretty unanimous answer by most people. Who wears it best? Ooh, I think Burke does a really good job wearing it. Ah, it's a new one. We shared that picture yesterday, but everybody has said Lipscomb wears it the best. 
Oh, Trey's good at it. It's hard not to look good in that, you know. Trey does have that that swagger kind of pimp walk to him too. Um, yeah, dude. Every everyone. It's Frederick Maryland, son. Got that pimp walk in it. That's Frederick. Exactly. I just know Tony V came on and said that thing smells so nasty. Keep it away from him. Oh, it it does. You don't. Luckily, you don't smell it after you hit a home run, just because like you're in the dugout, everyone. But then away from the dugout, you're like, who died? (laughs) It's it's yeah, it's bad. So, are you a beach guy or a lake guy? Beach for sure. All right. So, if you can go to. Any concert, bucket list concert, or any sporting event, which are you picking, concert or sporting event? Sporting event. What's the sporting event? What is the bucket list sporting event? I think a Game 7 World Series would be, and then right below that, a Super Bowl. But, like, if it's not the Game 7 World Series, I'd choose a Super Bowl over it. All right, so if it's the World Series, uh, I want to know who's the t- who's the two teams playing. Who who are your dream scenario? Well, I gotta support my Red Sox, and then who else? I don't really know. What, what, but what if your brother is up on the, oh, on the Detroit if team? You're gonna pick the, the Red Sox? <laughs> yeah, if it's the Tigers, that'd be cool too. <laughs> no, no doubt. Going to watch your brother play. So Super Bowl, who would it be? Who 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 is who's the teams? You know, I don't watch football as much. Um, if it were right now, I think a Super Bowl with Tom Brady would would be fun just because he's the guy. And then, you know, I like watching Patrick or Patty Mahomes too. So, so fun. All right. So, another another interesting one. We always uh, we get two different answers all the time. What was better, the Gilbert bat flip? Not, not, or let me say, not like the specific right state one. What's better, a Gilbert bat flip or a Jordan Beck bat slam. Ooh, I think a Gilbert bat flip. That See, gets me going. That that should be the answer. And I probably watch more Gilbert TikToks than anybody, but mm. I don't know, man. That slam by Beck was so aggressive and I hadn't seen anything like it. I really got pumped off that one. I got a third one that I think is better than both. What's that? Blake Burke just letting go Rob. of the bat. Oh, the the Blake Burke dropped the bat is really cool. I think the coolest one that happened this year was Beck's walk-off against ETSU, I think it was, where he hit the ball and he immediately started taking off his uh his leg guard. I think that's just, <laughs> like, such a subtle, like, pimp job that you're like, damn, you know? Yeah, and I mean, that, and that's what we were talking about, you know, not to beat a dead horse. This stuff's fun, man. Like, I mean. So fun. All right, so this will be an interesting one. You're a smart guy, so you'll probably think about this one and, and figure out your best uh, option. Would you rather be attacked by a tiger or attacked by a grizzly bear? Oh, I think I could do better against a tiger. The bears, grizzly bears are so big, and then their paws are like, I don't even know, like basketballs with claws on them. So I think a tiger. I agree with you. I don't want nothing to do with either of them, but I want at least the one that a size comparison. Maybe I can maybe I can do something yeah. with it. Yeah. All right. This is a tough one. I'm, I'm going to hit you with it, Luke. Would you rather save one loved one? or be able to save 100 strangers? Don't do me like this. Uh, Got to. That's a part of this game. This is so easy how, for how me, strange, How stranger yeah. of a stranger is it? You don't you even don't know, know him, You don't know him, man. You're saving 100 people's lives, or you're just saving one person you care about? I mean, you got you got a fiancé, man. Like, that's this that's is, an, e- this, this is gotta, an easy one. Yeah. I got I to gotta save the loved one. For yeah. sure. 
But it's not a bad look when you say you'll save 100 strangers. Then you become a man of the people. That's what I'm saying. So it's no. like, do I want Damn all that. Or do I want the truth? All right. So you, you got a Tennessee fan here. You got an LSU fan here. They're ranked number one. They're ranked number two. So I ask you, going into this next season, would you take Tennessee and LSU or the field? You're laying money down. Would you take one of those two teams to win or the entire field? It's uh, talent-wise, Tennessee LSU. No in baseball, I'm taking the field. You know, I think there's a uh, the the curse of the number one seed. You know, the number it's one. It's real. However many years, it's real. And so, I just think like regardless of all the talent, it's so hard to be that good all the way throughout, and that's why you know, it like, never happens. You didn't. You said that your 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 dad was a professor specifically in statistics, right? So yeah. I guess we should have seen once we heard that we knew yeah. the answer, right? Yeah. Statistics <laughs> say the field. Yeah, exactly. and and I say this on the number one. We've talked to enough of the guys from both teams. We've told them like, and and we're dead serious. And I, like, I hope the coaches are like thinking the same way we are. Like, if you're number one going into that final weekend series, man, you get swept out. Like, you know, what's exactly. it, what's it going to matter? Lose you're still going to be hosting somewhere. Like, yeah. don't win the SEC, Luke. Get no, out of there. No, I'll, don't worry. I'll uh, I'll relay that to me. I'll say, hey, me, just lose a couple, okay? Just get yeah. out of there. That's something he's definitely not going to be interested in. Oh, God, on purpose. No. All right, last one. Massive success on accident or modest success on purpose? I'd rather have modest success on purpose. You know, it's it's like winning the lottery. Yeah, it'd be really cool to, to do it, but then, like, you're not really putting in work. And, like, 20 years down the road, you're going to just be, like, unfulfilled, I feel like. Luke. Let me ask you this question a different way. If I was to say, Luke Lipsius, you're probably going to make millions of dollars in your life, but if I was to give you $100 million, you said winning the lottery, but I say, Luke, you can go earn 20. Which one are you taking in the moment? Okay, well, I'm taking the $100 million when you put it like that. Okay, that's, 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 that's massive success by accident. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right. I guess you got me there. Luke, man, it's been a pleasure. Anything that you want to plug or promote before we get you out of here, man? I don't think so. I think that uh, you guys are doing a great job. This was so fun. Um, love what you're doing and, and just keep on doing it. Yeah, appreciate that. And I, I you know, I always, I'm always ready to plug and promote people because they always come on here and they're real humble. They're like, oh, no, I don't have anything to plug or promote. So I'm, I'm going to throw your, your Instagram out there because if you get it right, you got to put in 10 U's. It's at Luke, which is on. Um, you got it. You got one. to remember the one at the end because yeah. apparently at Luke was already taken. So. I can't believe that. How, how was like, how is that even possible? Hey, that's, that's how I got somebody to use. He kept adding use thinking this would work. And then it still wasn't taken. Somebody well, else added. I picked 10 because knowing me, I would have forgotten anything else. And then I put it in and I'm like, who, the hell picks that as a name <laughs> like it was luke longley from the bulls in the 90s yeah yeah, yeah. exactly well for whatever reason got an instagram but yeah so <laughs> yes so if you want to see what luke's doing on a tuesday night if it's taco tuesday in in his household or if you want to see him getting ready to, to fly his own plane going over to instagram at luke one with 10 u's don't be mistaken. Got to have 10 U's. Or if you want to get the scoop on what volunteer baseball is doing, look at the legacy that Luke left behind going over to at 
ball underscore baseball and you get to check out all the things Tennessee ball baseball. So Luke, man, we appreciate you. We wish you the best of luck. Would love to have you back on just to chop it up, talk baseball and, you know, just see where you're at, man. Yeah, for sure. Thanks so much for having me on. It's been so fun. Absolutely. That is Luke Lipsius, everybody. We're going to take a break. We got some sponsors to plug, but when we come back, we got to talk all things NFL playoffs. I don't know what I was doing. Do you know, Daniel? I'm going to stop recording. This this will be edited up. Did you has your Zoom updated? I think so. I don't know why. Is it not all confusing looking now? Mm, mine looks nope. the same. But Luke, have you heard about the guys over at Chinook Seedery? They're the only sunflower seed company that is taking the time to connect with college athletes and trying to help them build their brand. They have eight flavors from mild to wild with way less salt and no sandpaper tone. So check them out today over at ChinookSeedery.com. Welcome back to the End Off the Bench podcast. We got some headlines. Well, really. The only headlines is what's really going on right now, and that's NFL playoffs. So, guys, I want to talk a little bit, obviously, about this past week's games, uh, what we are calling Super Wild Card Weekend, which is just ridiculous. But it it is Super Wild Card Weekend that has just passed. We had a plethora of games, Seahawks, 49ers, Chargers, Jags, Dolphins, Bills, um, Cowboys, Bucks, Bengals, Ravens, all, you know, for the most part, you know, decent games. Um, you had two that kind of got away from the other teams, but for the most part, uh, interesting weekend and, and probably looking forward to this divisional round coming up. But, Randy, I'll, I'll start with you. Saturday's games, 49ers, Seahawks, Jags, Chargers, going into the the day um i don't think you know personally i didn't think the 49er seahawks game would have been that good of a game in the first half and i didn't think that chargers jags game would have been as bad as it was in the first half would you agree with that completely agree i think that we i mean i still can't get over the chargers blowing the lead and then to fire the offensive coordinator after that, I think was, I think it's got to be the head coach. I don't know how y'all feel, but it's, I don't know. Well, I think what was interesting, Randy, was Saturday morning, I'm listening to the radio and Ryan Clark is on a show. And I kid you not, he says this. This is before this game happens. He goes, um, they asked him, if the Chargers lose, do they fire their head coach? And he goes, it depends on how they lose that would determine it for me. And then let the game play out. And it's like, there ain't a worse way to lose. So based on what my man Ryan Clark said, dude's got to go. So I, I don't know the the details behind. I mean, obviously, you know, recency bias makes us want to go. Well, obviously, they had a complete meltdown the second half offensively in the playoff game. So that's why it was gone. But was it more to the fact that this year as a whole wasn't what they thought it would be and this was just icing on the cake or was this like a, a if they had won this game he would still be on staff today well, randy let me ask you um you may have remembered the stat i know you're good at remembering the stat of past the run after the, or in the second half um was 
alarming, and that and that's yeah. what falls on the it's coach. Like eighty-five percent. Yeah, yeah, I mean like, they they aired the ball the second half, which was just dumb. Like so, dumb. a basic concept of working clock, you know, like and they didn't do it. Yeah, yeah. I, but you know what though, we've seen the Jaguars do that this year, so it was like twofold. We, we know that Doug Peterson is a Super Bowl winning head coach. We also know that Staley has lost several games for the Chargers in the last two years with his decisions. And you can let your offensive coordinator take the heat for calling the plays, but you're the head coach. It's your job. You hear the play get called, and if you hear the ninth pass in a row and it's not working, you say, hey, man, run the dang ball. And then, and you know Mike what and Mike Williams was out like so like he was he, and then somebody else I forgot who they said else was hurt um I'm not familiar outside of Keenan Allen and Mike Williams who the other receivers are obviously I know Eckler's in the backfield but somebody else was down so they were even down receivers still throwing the ball so it it didn't make sense but I'll tell you the thing about that game you know a lot of people still were were throwing hate towards Trevor Lawrence because of his four picks I tell you any guy who can you know get past throwing four interceptions. And, and get his mind back right and overcome that adversity and do what he did in the second half, man, you have to tip your cap. I mean, because I know so, me, I'm crawling into a damn hole if I threw four picks. Well, that just that's all the more reason why I think you got to make a change at head coach. If you have a 27-point lead, a quarterback that has thrown four interceptions, your defense has done everything they can do. And, and, I, and obviously, I've been very clear about my Justin Herbert. He's got to be better than that. It doesn't matter what the plays are. He's got to get a first down. He's got to get more points. I understand that. I just don't think that the coaches, coaching staff, put them in the best position to hang on to that lead. A twenty-seven point lead in the playoffs. But but did on. y'all did y'all feel yeah. what I? There was a reason I made the post I did, and yeah, I bragged about it because it, it, it's a it's a lucky brag. But it was twenty-seven-seven, and I said I just feel like the Jaguars are going to win this game, and people told me to go buy lottery tickets. But it, I don't know. Did y'all feel what I felt like? It, and, and maybe it was because of the way they were just three and out and on the pass and like we're talking. But it just felt like all of a sudden, like no foot on the gas. They they just were kind of going through the motions. Whereas the Jaguars all of a sudden were catching this momentum. And then once they got that second touchdown, I was like, I know it's still a two score game, but like I mean, they're they got all the momentum. I'm a, I'm gonna be honest. All that that you just said, I wasn't privy to because you know what I did? Slept. Yep, I stopped watching. Because when you when you see the first quarter unfold the way it does, and then you see the second quarter unfold the way it does, and at halftime you're looking at a twenty-seven to seven game, it's like, all right, I'm I'm good. I've, well, I've you seen know enough. why I kept watching and hoping, right? And maybe this is part of why I went on a bold prediction. I had the Jaguars at plus one and a half, so I'm sitting there hoping that my parlay is stay alive. And uh, and it, and it did so like, and that's the wildest part. And we're gonna get into our picks in a minute, Daniel. I'm I, I still I'm still losing a little sleep that if I just would have bet with the six picks that I made on this damn show, I'd have two thousand dollars. But instead, wow. I, instead I'm out forty bucks because I decided to have a gut feeling on Justin Jefferson, which we'll get in a minute. But uh, Daniel, on that first game, um, and Randy, yeah, I, I know that me and you are high on them, Randy. But I want to talk to Daniel. Did I mean? Did you get to watch the 49ers? I did. I, did. I, uh, I mean, are are you now even even with Purdy at quarterback? I mean, I I have felt like this is the team this is the team to beat in the NFC. Are you feeling that way? Uh no, no. He feels like it's the Cowboys. Why why would I why would I not feel that way? Um, I we'll break down that game. I I want to stick to just the Seahawks and the 49ers for a second, but I'll, I'll get to the reasoning why I think that in a minute. Um, but. You had kind of the 
a, a similar scenario where the 49ers come out strong in the first quarter um, and you go, okay, this is what we thought it was going to be. And then the Seahawks come storming back with 17 and they're, they're up a point at halftime. And at that point, I'm thinking to myself, exactly what I told you previously on the podcast was that I think the Seahawks can get in there and, and stay in it long enough. And I think Pete Carroll is a good enough coach to go, all right, we're in it. So let me keep us in it. Um, obviously didn't really happen and pan out the second half, the, the way that the first half did, but, um, you know, looking at the Seahawks, Jim, is is Geno Smith the guy or was he just serviceable this year and, and you know, they they were able to, to get some things done? Or is he the guy that they're going to go, all right, let's build something around him? Well, because they're not in that upper, um, you know, echelons of picks to get one of those top two or three guys, um, I would say that Gino is better than anything you're going to get out there on the market right now. So I think he earned it. I think he earned his opportunity um, to continue. I think they should build around him, especially um, with not being able to, to draft a quarterback. Um, I mean, why not? I mean, he did really good and, you know, they, they have a lot of youth that's only getting to get better. They talked about it, you know, three of the, the offensive linemen that were starting were, were rookies. Their core, I mean, their running back was a rookie. Like, I mean, they 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 should only get better. And if you add pieces, you know, what what this really showed. And and Randy, yeah, I got to give him his credit. I hate doing this, man. He always said he just Russell Wilson wasn't that guy for him. And what this showed was Pete Carroll is a damn good coach, and Russell Wilson was not the reason why that team was winning. Very true, Very Randy. True. I'm I'm. I'm assuming you had a chance to watch the game and oh yeah. Uh, you know, looking at the 49ers, you know, Brock Purdy biggest game of his life. Um, you know, would you say he he met the challenge or would you say there's still some things that he personally being in that position, he's got to he's got to learn to to temper a little bit. Uh, no, I think that he performed the best when they got down. They came out in the second half, and Shanahan proved uh, that how elite he is as an offensive play caller. And the 49ers defense is un- – they're insane. I mean, they got probably the best linebacker in the NFL, probably the best defense in the NFL. Brock Purdy was great. When you got weapons like Debo, Christian McCaffrey, Ayuk, uh, Juwan Jennings, I-, I mean, to me, I don't know that it really matters who the quarterback is at this point. We've seen Jimmy G, but what we have not seen – we saw Jimmy G go out there and be serviceable and not lose games. We saw Brock Purdy go out there and win the dang game. He went out there and did his thing. He was making long throws. He was flushed out of the pocket, made some throws off of his back foot. I thought he was fantastic. How, how fired round. up were you when he made that one and he was beating his chest? I love seeing oh, that yeah. all up in it. What yeah, man. What I know is that the whoever if it's the quarterback's coach, if it's the offensive coordinator, whoever is developing the quarterbacks in the 49ers organization, he's a race. Oh, no, no doubt. And, and the other thing you got to give credit to, man, you know, I, I go back to our fantasy football draft, Daniel, right? It was like, stay away from Christian McCaffrey. And this dude, you know, he gets traded. And I don't know if y'all know this. I didn't know this until they said it in the game. Do you know they haven't lost since they acquired him? 
I did know that. I think what did they won like nine in a row. Right. And and his stats have been gaudy and he's been able to stay healthy. This is what everybody knew Christian McCaffrey could do if he stayed healthy. And now he's doing it on a way better team than he was on. And so uh, But you know why they're doing it though? They're if you look at his rushing numbers, his attempts, they're it's not they're not right. He's not asked to do it like he was in Carolina. Yeah, no, because they're using dual running backs and then bringing Debo in sometimes. So, I mean, you basically got a three running back system when you kind of look at how they do it. And I didn't even bring up when I'm talking about weapons, George Kittle. He's still one of the best tight ends in the game. I mean, the guy's unbelievable. Yeah, so when we move away from that game, we look at Sunday's games. I mean, we'll start with with the, the Dolphins and Bills game. I. I watched, you know, this game. I watched all these games, but this game in particular, I felt as though the last two minutes of the first half took about 45 minutes. <laughs> True. It did. It did. It, it, and it was unbelievable how, like, the game swung um, in, that two, in that two minutes. But I'll say this, Randy, I was, I was actually surprised that the Dolphins – hung in the game and and had a chance you know to to win the game really you know if, if you go back and look at it but i was shocked i would have never thought with all the adversity they had and the guy they had you know having to come in and and i didn't even know who the quarterback was i didn't either to be honest but i think that if you if you really look at it josh allen has not been as good this year as he's been in the past and he really it stretches. He looks like the best quarterback to ever step on the football field. But he threw two picks. He had three fumbles, lost one. He continues to let the other team stay in the game, and it almost cost him. The Dolphins' defense was opportunistic. I, they did what they had to do, but he was not good. Well, I was going to say something about the Buffalo defense because Daniel talks about that the end stretch of the first half. They end up with three field goals. If Buffalo's defense doesn't hold tight. They may have lost that game. I mean, hold, holding them to consistent field goals was a big, a big game changer. Yeah, um, and I don't, I don't know. I know Waddle came out of the game briefly, and it was just like Tyreek, Tyreek, Tyreek. They were just trying to give it to him, which I, I mean, I guess I wouldn't blame him either. Uh, give it to the too. fastest guy on the yeah. field, like see what he can do. But they were, they were forcing the ball to him when like he couldn't get it. And on top of the fact that the Dolphins, when Waddle was in, I want to say they dropped four or five passes that hit him right in the chest. It was like, catch the ball. And they didn't, um, they never established a running game. I mean, I know no. they were down, but they never, they only rushed the ball 20 times. They never got that going. Yeah. I mean, Mostert's not playing. So this is one of those situations where um, you give up, like you trade away you know, one of your your dual threat running backs early in the season, and then you don't have that dual threat when someone goes down when you need it the most. So I think that's really why they weren't even able to to get anything going. Um, but Bills pick up a pick up a dub as as you know most people thought they would. Uh, the Giants Vikings game, another game where you know. Kirk Cousins is, I mean, I guess this is just what he is, man. He is a guy that can give you some wins, but if you really need the big wins, he's not going to be able to get you there. 
Well, I, I don't necessarily agree with that completely because he did do the Minnesota miracle and beat New Orleans. So he did. He, he, did decide, he did decide the one game that he was going to win. It was going to be against the Saints. What an asshole! But he even even that, that up there. yeah. But even that takes a blunder on sure. someone else's part. Sure. Um, I just don't think. Like, I think it's just a silly. the The end of the game was what it was, and it's a dumb dumb pass on his part. Three um, yards to Hawkinson. Yeah, and and being like, I got like, a different take on that. I, I, I just I don't know. Don't drop please, it. Drop yeah, it. please up? tell me because I I can't un, like for the life of me I I get it. All right, Randy, you you're gonna throw have the to ball. You got to throw the ball. You can't take a sack, but you you throw the ball there short. You don't even give the the thing a chance to like develop. And I can't remember. I don't think I think he had some time. Yeah, but, no, he no, he wasn't he wasn't forced to throw that right out. I'm I'm real interested because Randy, you're gonna have to really impress me because I haven't found a a single analyst one in the world that didn't say anything about how he didn't throw that. Well, no, that's the first down marker. He's checked down, Kirk. That's what he is, right? But so that's that's just you're not gonna expect something different now. But what I was gonna say is that it people Kirk Cousins is gonna get the blame because he's the quarterback. But this game is on their defense. It's their defense is historically bad. They. Yeah. The Giants' offense, I think they'd only scored 30 once in the – this is their second time all season long. The Vikings' defense is to blame for this loss. Yeah, Daniel Jones, they made him look awesome. They, they did. And, by the way, Daniel Jones, 100%, didn't get his contract extension before the year. They were going to see how it went. Is he even our guy? That dude made himself some money, not only this game, but this season. But for Kirk Cousins to get the blame for doing what he's done, like you said, 31-39, 275 yards. Hawkinson, 10 catches, 130 yards. The offense isn't the problem. I mean, you still got Dalvin Cook. You still got Justin Jefferson. You got all these weapons, and your defense can't stop somebody. They go on like a lot. The Giants, they milk the clock. I mean, how long? They had the ball for five minutes, 12 plays, 75 yards. That was with seven minutes and 47 seconds to go they scored. And, and, that's, and, that's, and that's what's crazy. So since you weren't here when we made the picks, I literally said exactly what you just said about their defense. And I said, I don't believe in them for that reason. And I picked the Vikings. And then I'm at that betting machine, guys, and I'm like, man, Justin Jefferson. I let that LSU fan in. I was like, Justin Jefferson's fixing to torch that ass. I'm like, I'm taking the Vikings. And that little thought process cost me two grand, fellas. They did a great job on Justin Jefferson, to be honest. Yeah. Um, and when you take him completely out of the game, then it's like, all right, you're going to let, I guess, Hawkinson get his – he feasted. And, yeah. But you'll take Hawkinson getting his but, over. Jefferson's had a bunch of 200-yard games and stuff. But, yeah, but if you've noticed, I I want to say Jefferson, he hasn't had those type of games when Hawkinson has had his big games. Right. Because I think you, you go, I, if, if anybody's going to beat us, I, I don't believe in Dalvin Cook. I don't think he's that good. I don't think he's a guy that's going to – line up there and, and get you a win. I don't I think, think this is going to sound like rocket science to you guys, but in the games where I watched the Vikings be most successful this year, it wasn't when Jefferson put up the massive sets. It was when him, Thielen, Hawkinson, everybody was involved. And I, it out. I mean, that's yeah. the formula, right? Yeah. Well, I think too, in Justin Jefferson, he is one of the best receivers in the game. We get a little bit of the Odell Beckham. We, we see the incredible catches and he makes catches that nobody else can make. But like, 
he can't do it by himself, right? A receiver can only do so much. That, I, know, spread it around. I know this on that last play of the game, you know, we talk about he he threw he was checked out. I know this. I would have just found where Justin Jefferson was and threw it up on a prayer and been like, go get it and save me again. I, I yeah, said I the same I said the same thing. I said, if you're going to lose the game, you better fucking lose it trying to get it to your best receiver. I don't disagree with that. Or or Thielen, they didn't. He didn't get much involved. No, he's had some injuries this year. He's not as good as he was. But three catches. Justin Jefferson had seven catches for forty-seven yards. So what they they did not allow Justin Jefferson to take the top off the defense. They absolutely took that out of the game. But that plays into Kirk Cousins' game because he wants to check down. But they just let him complete a bunch of passes. 30, 31 completions. Yeah. But hey, for I, only two seventy three, come on! I, I'm gonna make a, a random bold take that's outside of the playoffs. It'll take a couple seconds. I want to go ahead and say it right now: with the way they look this this season, and with the problems that I see with the Vikings and Green Bay's issues, I think Detroit's going to take that division next year. That's, I don't. Uh, that's not too far off. I don't think. I can see it. I, I don't. I don't think that's. I don't think anybody be mad about it because everybody feels bad. They suck all the time. Yeah, for sure. Looking at Jim, the the Bengals and the Ravens. All right, obviously, Joey B. That's that's your guy. Jamar Chase. That's your guy. Um, looking at that game, you know, Ravens up a point at halftime. Uh, it's it's really gritty. Um, at the end of the third quarter, um, it takes a defensive play and and really i guess i don't know if it's a blunder offensively um or if it's just being you know aware in the moment defensively but either way it takes the Bengals, you know taking the ball and running it 98 yards back down the field to to win the game is that cause for concern moving forward for these guys okay so let me say first, like I text y'all in real time and um, didn't get responses probably because it was late um, from you, Daniel. Uh, but it was Ar- Randy. It was Arkansas A&M over. I didn't think I could see the same play twice in one year. Obviously, one was college, one was NFL. Um, a quarterback, an athletic quarterback trying to go over the top and the ball gets knocked away and returned the whole distance of the field. But, Daniel, you we sat here and talked about it and you talked about in order for the Ravens to win, they would have to muddy this thing up, have to be ugly. That the Ravens' possessions were taking a long time. They were driving the ball down or running the ball downfield, taking off clock, keeping Joey B on the sideline. They were playing great defense. The Ravens did everything right to win this game, but that one play. I I, I don't know what happens because they tie that game up. You know, assuming they make the extra point, it's Justin Tucker. So I'm gonna go ahead and say they they're going to. You don't know what happens. That that play changed everything. The Ravens got the Bengals to play the game the way that they wanted to in the best. Uh, opportunity that they had to win um and so you know you got to give the ravens their credit um harbaugh the whole game plan um because it, it could have easily went the other way for for joey b you know he was also taking some sacks again which we know he won last year in the playoffs taking sacks but you know going forward against that you know uh the bills right that's what they got yeah yeah going forward against the bills i mean they're gonna they're gonna have to protect my guy um, and and they're gonna. Luckily, Buffalo is not gonna be a team that's gonna to muddy the game up. But I, I think the Ravens had the the perfect game plan. And going forward, you know, you ask what you do, right? Um, I don't know that Lamar. I've been listening to a lot of analysts on the team, and, and Randy, maybe you can help me on this. A lot of people are saying with the, the way Lamar is treated, he don't really want to go back there. 
True, but they have the leverage. They can franchise tag him. He has the leverage of sitting out, but they can franchise tag him to trade him. I mean, it's not like he can just walk away. Yeah. Well, I mean, Huntley fits the system. So if he if if you do want to, you know, figure out what to do with him, um, you can. Um, and you know, there's a lot of teams really need a quarterback that would love to have Lamar Jackson. So I don't I don't know what you do if you're the Ravens. I mean, they should have done paid him, obviously. And Randy, I was listening to the conversation. This is something you talk about all the time. There was a guy who came on and he was he was talking to Keyshawn and them this morning, and he was trying to convince them that he should have took the contract that was offered to him. And, and Keyshawn and Jay Will and them were coming back, obviously, Max, talking about market value. And you talk to me about this all the time because it goes back to baseball when we were talking about um, Soto. And you said, it doesn't matter if you're really actually worth that. It's what the market value says you're worth. And, right. and the market value says he's worth a certain amount because Kyler Murray and those other guys got it. So Sean Watson, Sean Watson. So if you're not going to get paid it, you know, he has every right to feel the way he does. No matter, you know, me, who's one of his biggest critics, if those other guys are going to get it, when you look at the fact that he's won an MVP, if you look at the success Baltimore has with him and the success they don't have without him, he deserves the contract. I agree. And I think the one thing that you got to keep it, the Ravens are not, they're not balking at the total amount of the contract. People keep kind of saying that, but he wants guaranteed money like Deshaun Watson got. Give me $230 million Think guaranteed. about the idea that Deshaun Watson, and as bad as he sucked when he came back, and he sat out all the time, and he's got that contract. And then Kyler Murray, he was injured all season. It's like, so, you know, Lamar's out there laying it all on the line, not getting paid anything, and these two guys doing what they do, getting paid. You know you know what, Randy? This This is just funny to me. I mean, <laughs> it is. I, I, still mean, think he's, I still this, think he's a great thrower of the ball. I'm not going to sit there. and th This guy has come a long way from his feelings to now saying he a deserves, I, I deserves never, anything. I never said he wasn't valuable to win. I still don't think he's a good thrower of the ball. But, like, I mean, look, Justin Fields was uh, was doing the same thing he was doing, but a much better thrower of the ball, in my opinion, in Chicago. So, I mean – you know, whatever. I'm not gonna knock. I'm just, I'm just saying, with what his team's success has been, he has deserved to already been paid. And honestly, like Randy said, they had the leverage. But if I was him, I would not want for the fact that they had not paid me yet. I would not want to be there. Well, and I'll, I'll end it with this: we don't know the severity of the injury, but I guarantee you, had the guy get gotten paid, he'd have been out there. He would have been out there. And they probably would have won the game. That's, yeah, that's I actually the, believe the sad that. reality. So, well, because the way that they were killing the Bengals was running the ball. What, yeah. what does he do the best? Runs the well, dang oh, ball. Oh, and oh, hey, we can't move on. I do got to ask either one of y'all. One, J.K. Dobbins. Um, do y'all have a problem with his statement talking about he got no red zone touches? I think, uh, poor I think my, I think my, my issue with him not is isn't that it's. Him saying that had Lamar been playing, they would have won the game. I didn't like that either because Huntley laid it all on the line. I mean, and, and you also have you know twenty one other teammates that are out there doing the same thing. So to say right. that we, yeah, but, I didn't, hey, I didn't like that all at all. But, but but do you? I mean, yeah. do you think if he would have got the? I mean, I guess it's the uh, the question I'm asking is, do you think if they would have gave him the ball more, you know, would they would they have maybe won that game? I guess is the, is the question. Is it a fair statement for him to make? I do think that. Coming from a guy who didn't even play last week, though. <laughs> but he was it's not like he was he wasn't unaffected. I mean, he I mean, he, he right. was he was good. Yeah.
He doesn't look healthy, though. I'll be honest. He doesn't. When he's running and he gets in wide open space, he used to just run off and leave everybody. He's not doing that right now. I'll tell you who who showed something, um, man, with a couple catches. We already knew this anyway. I mean, Mark Andrews is that dude, by the way. Just had to get that out there. He is that dude. He's the only dude, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> All right. La- last game of the Super Wild Card weekend was Monday night. Cowboys came to Tampa and just it correct me if I'm wrong, guys. They they put it on the Bucks. Yeah, this um, game's not near as close as the score yeah, said it was. Yeah, I, I think um you got four fucking missed extra points and it should be 35 points, but either way, um defensively through really two and a half quarters it was wasn't even close the game was not even close um you know the bucks got something going chris godwin had had a decent game um but really i think the cowboys defense made it really tough um for the bucks and it didn't help that that tom wasn't that great um so i'll i'll ask you guys you know, your opinion of this game, you know, Jim, I'll start with you in, in regards to were the Cowboys that good or the Bucks that bad? I know you're going to hate this answer, but I'm going to go the latter because um, I think the Cowboys were good, but I have been adamant that the Bucks weren't that good. I mean, the NFC South, the, the way the Bucks played just solidified that the NFC South this year might have been the worst division I've seen um, historically ever. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, but I mean, you, the Cowboys did what they needed to do and they took care of business on the road against a guy who doesn't lose in the playoffs. So um, if, if I'm having to pick between one or the other, I'm going to give the Cowboys their due. Randy, what do you think? Cowboys, were they good or were the Bucks just that bad? I think it's a little bit of both, but anytime that you perform in a playoff situation and the, the knock on Dak Prescott was that he had won one playoff game and he played really, really well. So uh, you got to give him credit where it's due. The defense is really good. I do think that Father Time is undefeated, and we saw that with Tom Brady. And I don't know, and who in the world would want a forty-six-year-old quarterback? Apparently, the Raiders. That's so dumb. I mean, they're so far away. That's that's the least of their concerns. But um, I I got to give credit to to Mike McCarthy, Dak Prescott, Micah Parsons, Tony Pollard, all those guys. I mean, they showed up. And showed out when a lot of people were saying the Bucks could win this game because of Tom Brady, and you know I don't think that anybody is, they're all blaming Byron Leftwich. I think he ended up losing his job. They're making a whole lot of changes with the coaching staff, and nobody's really looking at it saying you know Tom wasn't good. You know he our defense was not good. I, I don't know, man. I, I just feel like a lot of fingers getting pointed, and it's not at the greatest quarterback to ever step on the field because he is that. Regardless, it doesn't tarnish his legacy, but he was yeah. bad. I, I agree. Um, you know, being there and, and seeing it in person, it, it wasn't any better in person than it than it showed on TV. Can we talk about how you were wearing one gear and your wife was wearing another? Yeah, I mean, so you know, obviously living in Tampa, there, you know, you you support the 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 local team. Um and obviously, over the years that we've lived here, she's become accustomed, I would say, to rooting for the Bucks. All right. You know, and now that 
Tom Brady and in her words is a a hunky a hunky guy, it just gives her even more reason to root for them. But I gave her ample opportunity, even as the game was progressing. I said, Are you there's still room on this bandwagon? Just come on, come you, aboard. Can I ask you a question? What what was the temperature at the uh Tampa Cowboys game? <laughs> It was cold, man. It was forty. It was like forty-eight in the fourth quarter. But I think when we, Daniel, I, I just when we got there, this, it was fifty. I asked your I asked your parents this if they were going to also get soft when they moved to Florida, and so I just got to ask you this question: At what point in your Florida living did you realize you had gotten soft? In regards to weather, yes, I would say probably. A good two years into it, you start acclimating. And and a lot of it is because I lived in South Florida the first two years. So then, like, you don't get a lot of cold. But then when you do, man, it's like, it's bad. I mean, y'all had on, like, y'all look like y'all were in Green Bay, Wisconsin. We we were. It it was like, uh, I had my sweatshirt on, my shirt on, and. I tell you what, I was warm and I felt good, and I'm glad I had my you, layers on. You know what he talk? He talks about how much he hates soccer, Randy. He sure couldn't be a soccer dad because I'm out there watching games when it's 30 degrees and the winds whipping 20 miles an hour. He wouldn't make it. Nope, it's, it's, I it's wouldn't. Tough. I wouldn't make soccer in Florida, bro. I, I ain't <laughs> trying to sit out there in that heat, no sir. Um, but guys, looking looking at this weekend. Um, Hold on, can we acknowledge that I went six and zero in picks since I did so bad in the regular season? I just need to get that out there. I mean, sure. Thank you. I mean, I got absolutely wrecked by you guys. I need I need to feel good for a week. Congratulations, you went six and zero, and really, it's pointless because you didn't even make any money off of it. Because you... <laughs> I, I blame myself, man. I blame. Myself. I, I don't blame me. If you would have jumped in on the parlay with me, you would have talked me off the ledge when I went to make the bet. But you didn't want to get in on with me like you normally do. What's that about? Nah, nah. I would have. I would have told you to go with the Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I would not have. Yeah, uh, I know you picked the Giants too. So, any anyhow, yes, you had a a, a fantastic week of picks. So shout out to you six. And wait, nine. wait. What did what did we me and you go five and one? Um, no, Daniel, I, went, I think went four I, and two. I went four and two, and you, Randy, went. I was five and one. Five and one because the Chargers. How ridiculous! And he yep. th- and he thought he was gold. <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh, this is game. Yeah, I I would have thought you were too, but hey, this is what it is. But that sets up some interesting matchups. Obviously, looking at the slate Saturday, four thirty, Jags traveling to kansas city um tough place to play tough team to play is the jaguars randy is the jaguars luck gonna run out um i don't know if it's as much about the luck running out is they if they get down like they tend to do against the chiefs it's a wrap they are too good at everything they do and if you look at the patrick mahomes everybody talked about you know what will he be without tyreek and he's been better like the dude is that guy he is the best quarterback in the league this year i think he's mvp i think matter of fact he's probably ran away with it right so i think the chiefs win this one and i i don't 
I think they cover the line too. I know we don't bet lines, but I I, I think the Chiefs are absolutely going to. I think the, the I think the line's actually generous, but I think you're right, Randy, because I was listening to them talk about it today. I didn't realize so many of the Jaguars' wins on the streak have been all comebacks. And so, to your point, right. if you get down to a team like the Chiefs, you you ain't coming back from nothing no. like you did in the other game. No, but Jim, you you say it a lot, and you know we we. I'm getting this feeling that the Jaguars are starting to play well at the right time. So is this a scenario where they might have a chance here because they're that team that's playing well at the right time? Normally I would say that. And I don't I don't even know if they're playing well. Would you yeah, consider them playing well? I mean you're you're finding ways to win games. So I mean you got to say they're playing well to a degree. I think if even even with Buffalo included, I think if it was any of the other three teams, I would say with the way they've been finding a way to win games, they'd have a chance. I think being this team, um, like Randy said, at home, I just don't see it. Like, I mean, it, and it's not a knock on them. It's just a compliment to the Chiefs. I I, I agree. I, I think the Chiefs are just too good. That's it. You know, they they have that guy. You know, Pat, Patty Mahomes is that guy, and as long as he's the quarterback, it's safe to say that you're probably going to go with him, no matter who's on the other side. So, um, so let me so let me ask you, you know, if the Jaguars did win, like, I don't know that I would be happy because I feel like that's bad for whatever the next matchup is, right? Do y'all not agree? Nobody wants to see the Jaguars. Right, that's what I'm saying. So, I mean, I think the NFL and us as fans, especially because of one of the two teams you would be playing, which I don't want to, uh, like, spoil that before we get to it. But, I mean, like, I mean, you want that matchup. So, like, I, I, I think the Jaguars need to get out of the way so everybody can get what they want. Yeah, Unless you are a Jaguars fan, you they have you don't fans. want that. Now, hey, that stadium, hey, they, they came and showed out. I was I was impressed. Bandwagon fans. <laughs> All right, so then the the night game on Saturday is the the Giants and the Eagles. Obviously, the Eagles, the one seed, they 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 had a week off. Giants played, um, you know, pretty pretty grueling game for the most part. Um, against the Vikings, they're playing in Philly. Philly's a a favorite by seven and a half. So, Randy, who who are you taking and? What kind of game is this going to be? I am going to take the Eagles because I think the one thing they needed to do was have time off to get healthy, get Jalen Hurts even more acclimated to being back in the swing of things. Um, I think that um, – I think it's going to be a really close game, though. I think that Daniel Jones has proven that he can perform in the biggest moments. You have Saquon. Uh, I do worry a little bit about the defense, especially containing a guy like Jalen Hurts, and I think the Eagles have some weapons, A.J. Brown. I, I do think the Eagles do win it. I think being at home is probably what pushes me over the top because, like you said, it's that's a tough. It's tough to go into Philly and, and win games, especially in the playoffs. That that atmosphere is going to be charged Saturday night, and they're going to be all licking up. Oh, yeah, they're going to be right about 8-15. It's going to be bad. Um, so – Jim, I'll, I'll ask you, who are you taking and why? Um, I'm taking the Eagles for the the same reason Randy said. When you just look at the weapons, the fact that they got healthy, um, 
I think I'll say this though on the other side. You know, you talked about we were talking about the Ravens Bengals game. The Giants have to find a way to do what the the Ravens did. They got to muddy it up. Got to be ugly. They got to have uh, long possessions and and ball control and keep the Eagles offense off the field to have a chance. And they can do that. I mean, um, and they may be playing with a little bit of energy coming off that that win that you know a lot of people didn't think uh, that they were going to be able to pull off. So. I don't know. Momentum is something, you know, sometimes we've seen the team that that comes off the bye, you know, look sluggish. So we'll see. But I just I, I think Randy said it. I mean, it's, it's pretty simple. They got they got the weapons. I don't think the Giants can stop them. Jalen Hurts has gotten healthy. Um, I, I'll take the wig. I'd take the Eagles even probably to cover if I was betting it. Yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think I'll take the Eagles to cover. I will take them to win. Um, I think it's going to be a closer game. Um, than people might think uh, obviously to to randy's point them having a week off was important um getting healthy resting up getting hurts back into the groove getting some reps and uh, that is what's going to matter right now moving forward so you know I, I got the eagles but i think it's closer than people think Wow. And shout out to whoever uh, did these games as we get into Sunday because the two better games are on the same day. I'm ready for Sunday, man. Yeah. Well, here here they are, Sunday afternoon game, Bengals, Bills. We're we're it's oh, we're saving the best you know, for last, huh? Well, I'm just going time wise. He's going time. They're out of order for him because I think his ESPN is probably labeled to his favorite team. That's correct. So uh three three o'clock, Bengals, Bills, obviously. Uh playing in Buffalo, you know, this is a, a game that you know it's gonna be emotionally charged. There's a lot at stake. Um, you know, Bills, Bengals coming off of a, a wild card game that was probably not how they had drawn it up, much closer than they had probably wanted it to. Um, but Randy, starting with you, man. Who who do you got, and and is this going to be the best game of the weekend? I think it will be the most entertaining game of the weekend. I, I don't know about the best, but I think when you anytime you have a Joe Joe Burrow and Josh Allen, I'm I'm looking for fireworks. I am going to go with the Bills to win, and I think that the reason is they just have a little bit better of a defense. They're second in the league in points allowed. They're second in the league in points scored as well. So they kind of have a balanced attack there. They're at home. They're eight and one at home. Now, would I be surprised at all if the Bengals beat them? I, I really wouldn't be because I think that you have the Joe Burrow. But Joe Burrow and the Cincinnati Bengals were not very good last week. They were just good enough to win the game. I agree. They didn't lose the game, but they got to play better if they want to go in there. And Josh I mean, Allen has to play better. I was gonna too. say yeah because I mean both teams struggled last week. Maybe hopefully for for us as viewers, um, they both got the bat out so we can have the the best of both. And I think this is this is why I think the Bills because I think when the if the if both teams are running as good as they can I think the Bills are decidedly a better team than the Bengals are as on both sides of the ball. Well, I'll tell you why I'm going to take the Bengals, Daniel, because before Hamlin went down, the Bengals were up seventy three seven to three in driving to score again, and so all I have is the evidence that I saw just a couple weeks ago where it looked like the Bengals had no problem with the Bills and. So I'm gonna go with that again. The only difference is you're obviously bro. We're talking about six minutes, bro. Yeah, I mean it's I I, I see what you're so saying. They were fixing to drop forty. You points you on. make a you I I'm not gonna say they're gonna they were gonna do that. 
they were looking to go down and score again. I'll give you that. And it they would have had, you know, a much wider margin lead than they had. But there was still a lot of game that was left to be played. There is going to be some major LSU on LSU crime because Jamar Chase is fixing to work my boy Tredavious White all day long. Well, that would be the first time he's done that in a while. Jamar Chase has kind of been a little bit absent lately, bro. So, obviously, Randy, you got bills. Jim, you're taking Bengals. Um, As as – much as I I like Joe Burrow and I like Jamar Chase, those think, dudes won you money. Are you really uh, doing this? They didn't win me shit this year. <laughs> Matter of fact, it was it was more than when I needed them. When I needed them the most, they were not there for me. No, I I just think the Bills, um, they're a better team. I, I just believe that they're a better team. They're playing at home. Obviously, it's going to be a charged stadium. It's going to be loud. It's going to be crazy. Um, you know, yeah, I, I'm taking the Bills. I think it's going to be a close game. I think it's going to come down to a a, a last possession field goal to win it. Um, but you know, I think I think the Bills get it done. I feel like the best bet when I was looking at all these, whether lines or over unders, I think the over on the Bengals Bills game is easily my favorite bet of the of the whole weekend. I'm all over, over it. Forty eight. I agree. Yeah. Give it to me all day. All right, that brings us to the last game of the weekend, the evening game, the six thirty game. Cowboys traveling to the West Coast to take on. 49ers. Uh 49ers 8 and 1 at home. Um had a slow first half against Seattle. Had a big second half against them. Won pretty handily. Cowboys uh were pretty consistent all game. Um won pretty handily. Um you know, my take on this game is that the Cowboys defense is Good enough to where I think they can have a guy like Brock Purdy forced into some issues that could be troublesome. If they become troublesome, that I think the Cowboys can easily win this game. But if they don't become troublesome and he's able to make his way out of it and figure out how to facilitate the ball around pressure and around certain people it could be a long day for dallas um but i'm still i pick the cowboys every week and i'm still gonna pick them and i don't think that's any surprise from you guys but jim i'll start with you cowboys 49ers who you taking and why so no different than you were talking about giving brock Purdy problems I think the 49ers defense is going to give the Cowboys some problems. Um, you know, they got a guy on the other side, Bosa, that can do the same thing. I'm not saying who's better because that's actually a de- hot topic debate in the NFL. I don't really care to have it. They're both amazing. Um, but I think the 49ers are going to to come up and put the pressure on Dak. They're going to have to effectively run the ball, which the 49ers don't like to let people do. 
Um, so I hate to say this, Daniel, especially because I was on the whole Dak over Herbert debate, which I'll obviously have walked back since then. He looked good last week. I think the 49ers are going to force Dak into some mistakes. And I think ultimately, I think the turnover battle is probably going to be the difference of the game. Very likely. I mean, that's I mean, that's the whole MO if you're a defensive uh guy that's going up against the Cowboys, like you want to force Dak to turn the ball over. Um, I mean, the the record doesn't lie, you know, when he's turning the ball over multiple, multiple times in a game, like it doesn't bode well for them. Randy, what about you? What's your take? Who are you taking? Um, I'm I'm taking the 49ers for a couple of reasons. Number one, like Jim just said, and you just said, the, the turnover battle. I think that um, the 49ers defense, both defenses are really good. The 49ers defense is the best statistical defense in the NFL. Talk about Bosa, Fred Varner. They have a really good secondary. I think that what they can bring, the speed and athleticism, they can get Dak a little bit rushed and get him out, and that's when he tends to make mistakes. The 49ers are also 12-0 and when they allow 80 or fewer rushing yards. So can you get Tony Pollard going? Can you get Zeke in the third and shorts? It's not going to be as easy as it was against the Buccaneers because I think that they're just not very good, right? And I also think as good as Dak was, and I, I maybe I'm completely off on this, but I think that there was in the second half when you know Tom Brady's throwing every single play, I thought the offense left a little bit to be desired too. And I think in that game, why don't you just step on their throat and put this out, put up 40, put up 45, 50. Now they couldn't because the kicker couldn't make a daggum extra point. But I think that that's what you saw the 49ers do, right? They went out there and just kept scoring and kept scoring and kept scoring. So, Micah Parsons is great. Uh, you know, they got a, a pretty good, a really good defense. But the 49ers have so many weapons, man. They got Your killed. boy Jawan Jennings been getting all in the mix, too. Jennings, Ayuk, uh, they got Debo, McCaffrey. Brock Purdy doesn't have to go out there and beat Dak Prescott. Brock Purdy's got to get the ball into the guy's hands that can do it. And I, just, I think it will be a really close game. Hey. Help me, Randy. I'm going mind blank on the other running back because he he looked really he's been good all season, but he looked really good Mitchell. last week too. Yeah, Mitchell's look great too. Yeah, and and if you look back on the other side, the Cowboys, I think they've only allowed 24 points or more six times. So I think it's going to be a defensive battle. Uh, what's the over under on this one? 46. I think I might take. Oh man, I don't know. I think yeah, I still it's, take that's 23 apiece. Yeah, I'd yeah, take the over. I, I think I would take the over. I think it's going to be a really close game and it's going to come down to kicks. And I think we both all know how we feel there. But hey. Daniel, I'll tell you this regardless of the fact that I'm picking the 49ers, I've told you this all season with the Saints out of the mix. I will be more than happy if your team makes me wrong and you're able to have that excitement. I, I will not. Hey, it is it is what it is. When it when it's come to this season, I think I've been very like low key on these games. I've been very poor picking Dallas. Um, but when it comes to them and being honest about where they're at and how they can win and how they can lose, I think I've been fair, even though they are my best team, my, my favorite team. I think I've been fair. Best boy. Were, were you were you yeah. were you pissed off though? Honestly, because I this is exactly what I said when Minnesota had lost. I was like, Dallas, I think can beat Philly. Uh, obviously, they beat him the last time. Obviously, Hurts wasn't playing, but I was like, Dallas can beat Philly. Uh, I feel a lot better about that than San Francisco. And so Minnesota really did y'all a disservice. I mean, at at the end of the day, you're. If you make you're it as far good enough, as what your gonna, record is, 
that and you're going to have to beat them anyways. If you want to get to where you want to get, you're going to have to beat them anyways. So would you feel better about an NFC championship or divisional round though? Yeah, exactly. Let me ask you a question before we get off. Honestly, I, I, to to answer that question, I I will say the same thing. I don't think it matters. Like Uh, as as a guy whose team, the, the, the old, the ultimate is getting to the, the next level and winning that game. So, one can't come without the other, so it it's coach speak. But this week is more important than any weekend that Daniel. You I'll tell you, as a, a guy whose team who who makes it to the playoffs a lot and and sometimes gets knocked out in the second round, sometimes gets knocked out in the third round, um, getting that extra week of football is is meaningful. So I'm gonna I'm gonna have to say it does matter. I got a I got a bigger question. Let's let's say that the Cowboys they they lose. It doesn't matter this week or next week. You got a big decision here, DB, because your best running back is an unrestricted free agent after this year. Now, your his current contract was only four years, three point one eight seven, right? Obviously, he's going to command a lot more than that, but he's also twenty. He'll be twenty six when the next contract is signed. What they going to do with Tony Pollard, man? I think they're going to have to restructure some other guys, like. Zeke. Yep. You think Zeke's going to take that? No. Nope. He's been pretty adamant that he's not taking that. No. Uh, and I think given the money situation with all these other contracts floating out there, I, I don't, I don't think I would disagree with him not taking it, but give me my money. That's what I want oh, you to oh, do. Which, yeah. remi- which reminds me, Hey, on that Raven situation, I knew I forgot something. Um, the biggest slap in the face of Lamar Jackson was Roquan Smith had got to the Ravens and three weeks after he got there, he got a new contract. Um, so the guy who'd been on the team and been doing his thing for years, got an MVP, hadn't got a contract, but you gave the guy who'd only been there a few weeks, a new contract. And that's a big slap in the face. I knew I forgot something. Well, speaking of that slap in the face, let's, let's wrap this thing up, Jim. Last call, Jim, you got anything? Yeah, man, I want to uh, thank you over the air for encouraging me to still go down to Baton Rouge and support Kaya and LSU Gymnastics, even though she got hurt. Her season is unfortunately done. Um, having a conversation with her and her mom, though, uh, y'all will be glad to know, at least right now, the plan is that uh, because she has eligibility, um, this season does not count against her, and she even still has her COVID season, so she actually still has two seasons. Um, the plan is if everything can rehab and come back right on the Achilles, um, she will compete again, and she's optimistic that she will heal, so um, that's good for her. On the Alana Shinikova note, she said she was dedicating this season to Kaya, well, she just goes out there right there in front of us and gets her career high on the floor, um, absolutely kills it. So just, you know, shows that uh, these girls are out there working hard for her. It was good to see her out there being their biggest cheerleader, the biggest fan, um, sometimes even leaving her scooter behind and and hobbling around and getting in the huddle. So it was really cool to see electric atmosphere. They're uh, their largest crowd they've ever had for a home opener. So uh Appreciate you talking to me going into it. It was absolutely worth it going and watching those girls compete and supporting them. Absolutely. You got to take care of our people, man. You got to go support them. Good, bad, indifferent, ugly, whatever the case is. Still got still to gotta rep. Randy, last call, man. What you got? So for any of our Memphis listeners, speaking of people we support over the weekend, Haley and I were uh, invited to a fundraising event 
for Paul Young. He is a candidate for the next mayor for the city of Memphis. Uh, if you haven't got a chance, you go to his website, PaulYoungForMemphis.com. Uh, the guy's been doing work in this city. We we all talk about, you know, we love Memphis and we want to do the work. And some of us do, some of us don't. Paul does. Paul was the director of housing for HUD. He has been the CEO of the downtown, the DMC. Uh, so he's been putting in the work. He studied urban planning. He studied how to build cities. So what if, ask yourself, Memphis, we're the almost city. We've almost been there. Nashville's been passing us by. What if we had a guy that has been studying how to get us there in the office that loved our city as much as we do? Paul Young, baby. Paul Young for mayor. You he's should run re- his campaign, bro. <laughs> he's he going to re- rejuvenate people. Rejuvenate the city. I like hey, it. You need to, you I need like to, it. the way you just did that, you need to speak passionately for Casper next time he runs for Alderman, just like that. Well, I got to believe in it first. Oh, <laughs> oh, 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 Casper, don't listen to us. On that note, guys, <laughs> what a what an episode! Uh, really, I mean, what a story! A, a guy with a, such a, a really a story career at the University of Tennessee, um, smartest guy we've ever had on the podcast, and brain just operating at levels way more than any of us can probably comprehend. But um, obviously, I want to thank Luke Lipsius for joining us. Um, and if you like hearing Luke's story or just like hearing us average Joe's talk X's and O's, please like and share the podcast on Facebook, retweet us on Twitter. There's been a lot of wars going on on Twitter. Twitter is very active these days. So go out there, retweet, hit us up, let us know. Remember to listen, subscribe, like, you know, all the comments, ratings, feedback, hugs, loves, hearts, you, you name it, we'll take it. We'll see everybody next week. We got episode four coming at you, and we're going to be continuing the trend with baseball and the University of Tennessee because we got Zane Denton and Blake Burke joining us. This has been the In Off the Bench podcast. As always, remember, strong bodies, sharp minds, great and grind all the time. We're out.